boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, and those who don't describe their gender, welcome to the Pot of the Dragon Podcast. Spencer, this is our last podcast of season one. For we the next the five years. We are at the end of episode 10. We are doing our full recap podcast. This is the last Pot of the Dragon Podcast we are going to do for season one. How are you feeling? Uh, I simultaneously overjoyed to be talking about it with you and happy that we had, in my view, a great way, a great episode to wrap up this season and also damn near clinically depressed that it's going to be the greater part of a decade before we get more House of the Dragon. It won't be. Um, he's joking, folks. Uh, I think that the Condal said they're going to start filming early 2023. So like in the late January, early February timeframe. And like, if you put it on the same schedule as when they started filming for season one, that would mean that it would premiere sometime around like April 2024, which I think spring around 2024 is about reasonable, about a year and a half um, to get season two out seems about right to me. It'll be curious to see because some, they will simultaneously have a, I suspect, simpler job with casting, but perhaps a significantly more difficult job with CGI. How that balances out in terms of how long the production takes, it'll be curious to see. But I suspect, I, I'm, I'm going to aim for a little bit later, 20, later 2024, but I think it's reasonable enough to think two years is pr- they can probably get it done. Yeah, I don't know why people all of a sudden now think that, like, if there's CGI in a show, it now takes, like, four or five years to make. Like, there's CGI in a ton of shows that they get that come out in a year, year and a half. Like, I think, I honestly don't think the CGI, I mean, the CGI will take what it takes. I think the variable will be, can they get the actors under contract to perform their scenes? Because they have some, like, as we've talked about on this podcast before, they casted during COVID. So they had their pick of whoever they wanted. And they got some real A-list actors on the show. Olivia Cook, Matt Smith, um, Steve Toussaint. Like, so getting those people under contract to do their scenes at the same time might end up stretching it a little bit. Who knows? It'll, it'll be curious because it's kind of the same moment that we saw in Game of Thrones um, back in the day of where the jump between season one and season two, particularly when they didn't know that they'd be picked up for a season two, meant that several of the actors, even memorable characters that were present in season one through the episodes just don't appear or written out or recasted going into the next season because they didn't have them under contract. I hope that they've done better about that this year because that wasn't something I always found jarring in uh, some of the early yeah. seasons of Game of Thrones. I haven't gotten the impression they're facing that. I mean, I think we would know if they do that. Um, I mean, we know whenever they set up shop in a new city, uh, Watchers on the Wall has it within like 30 minutes. So uh, we'll know if they recast people, but... <clears throat> I think it won't be too long before season two, maybe a year and a half, maybe two years. But before we uh, get there, we have to wrap up season one, Spencer. So you want to talk about episode 10? The Black Queen. So we, um, I thought it was the Black Council. No, I had written down the Black Queen. Let me actually double check. Okay. Well, so we're getting off on a good foot here. We don't know the title of the episode. Uh, so let me ask you this, Spencer. You you and I were, were pretty positive during the reaction podcast. Black Queen. Um, uh, we had some some fairly a uh, Green Council Black Queen. You're right. Yes, we had some fairly negative um, comments from friends and the like. Uh, I had some people saying I was particularly aggressive in the podcast. Well, let me explain why I was particularly aggressive because I'd spent two days on Twitter listening to people telling me the episode stuck. <laughs> so it yeah, I was out. ready to jump on and tell them that I disagreed with that. Um, has your feelings about the episode changed? Are you still positive about the season finale? I'm still very positive about the season finale. I think the the criticisms that we got going into the episode from those that have watched the you know illegally leaked version come across to me as being very very off base or very overly specific in a way that I was scared going in from all the negative criticisms I was hearing on the internet. I was like, oh god, are they going to completely blow the landing? Is this going to put me out on Ga- on Game of Thrones going into the next season? And then I saw it, and I saw the changes they were focused on. 
And I had nowhere near the level of vitriol. I didn't think I liked the changes that they made. So, no. For me, despite the fact of what I'm hearing from some friends, despite the fact of what I read online going in, my views in the episode were very positive on first watch. And if anything, they've only solidified going forward. I think there's some decisions that, you know, I are fair enough to comment on and to discuss about whether they worked for us or whether they didn't. But I thought the overall episode was very successful, particularly since, in some ways, it reminds me of... What I liked about Viserys' episode is that it's an episode focused on Rhaenyra and focused on her experience and her journey and really kind of completing her arc for the first season. And I think of that, it very much succeeded. I think it succeeded better than Allison's episode before then, which I think we could fairly say the Green Council was very much Allison's episode too. So I think what they were going for succeeded on almost every mark, and that's a hell of an accomplishment. Do you think that this episode has shown that they are... That that there was some credence to the theory that they're not going to use the term the blacks on the show. Uh, other than the fact they named it the Black Queen, uh, it, it that's all. They haven't they haven't said that phrase in the show still. No character has, and I'm kind of curious to ponder now whether the blacks in the books actually referred to themselves as such, or whether that was purely a label that was put on them. Like, are we going to go into season two, episode one, and hear the Greens just referring to Rhaenyra's faction as the blacks? Maybe I think that might work. Well, but we at know least that in the show they haven't. We know that in the show, the Greens definitely have embraced. I mean, they even like they've changed the Aegon sigil the logos, to being yeah. a green flag um, with a three-headed dragon. So they're very much embracing the green label in the show. Uh, one thing for all the people who are depressed about no more Game of Thrones today—that's right, today, hot off the press, brand new book was released. Uh, Wins a winner? Can you? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> don't, George R. Martin, don't. <laughs> the rise of the dragon. Um, with uh, Elio Garcia and Linda Antonson. I know a lot of people online have problems with Linda Antonson. If you have problems and you don't want to buy the book, don't buy the book. That's what I say. But, uh, but the, it's basically like an illustrated history of the Targaryen dynasty. It reminds me a lot of the book uh, World of Ice and Fire. It's a big old sucker with about, I don't know, what, something like 400 pages of text and beautiful pictures following the Targaryen kings. So I'm eager to new Westeros content for you. I'm eager to pick up a copy. I mean, my favorite part of uh, the World of Ice of Fire and uh, um, uh, blah, 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 Fire and Blood, Blood. were well, the absolutely beautiful illustrations that we got in both. And so if it's offering us more of those, I'm down for that purpose alone, much less more information on the Targaryens. Spencer, this is $60. Are you sure you're going to buy a copy? You know, I'm suddenly less down. I, I, I'm pulling back on the down. Uh, He's going to wait till I send him a copy. They actually have a full Targaryen. <laughs> true. Um, they actually have a full Targaryen lineage, like a whole family tree in the back, too. Which is oh, just I as love those. As you would think it would be. I, uh, I, yeah, a lot of fun, this this book. So, yeah, go check that out if you're getting um, a little bit sad about the end of house of the dragon but i guess we spencer need to wrap up this season and that starts with a recap of episode 10 are you ready to jump into it whatever you are so we start with oh my gosh spencer oh a succession season four teaser i was so happy to see this <laughs> you know this is one of the things where house of the dragon episodes have in some ways lived and died based on the just impression and feeling i go in and get in the first 10 minutes Starting with a succession teaser was the perfect way to put me in a great mood to enjoy this episode. Oh, we got a little Logan Roy. I'm a hundred feet tall. There's people are pygmies. And then um, we got right at the end, uh, Tom and Shiv. This seemed like new footage. Tom saying to Shiv, do you want to talk about what happened? And Shiv turned around and looking at him like she was going to rip his fucking head off. And I cannot wait to see Shiv talk to Tom about the fact that he sold her out at the end of season three. Oh, my God. That's going to be so much fun. 
So, yeah, hyped about Succession season four. We're going to cover it on a podcast we do on the Mango Talks podcast network called Line of Succession. So if you like Succession, go subscribe to that. We will be with you when that season starts. Then we go to the previously on. We get a lot of prophecy talk in the previously on. Very much so. I want you to remember the prophecy. Remember the prophecy, Spencer. Remember the prophecy. I haven't forgotten it, show. You haven't let me forget it. You have been hitting me with it nonstop since the beginning. I'm down. I'm fully on the same page that you want to make this prophecy a massive deal. Oddly enough, I think this was one of the best episodes for their use of the prophecy, just based on uniquely how it was used. But still, I'm going to mock them on this subject. I had somebody, so I was checking out at Barnes & Noble... Uh, buying this this book, this Rise of the Targaryen book, and um, some guy in the in the, the line goes, "Is that did George finally finish the book?" And I was like, "No, he didn't finish the book." Mm-hmm. And I try to explain what it was, and he goes, "Oh, I watched that show. I watched like the first episode." Hey, I got a question for you. Were they talking about John with that prince thing? And I was like, "Sir, how long yeah. do you have?" Uh, yeah, it's like, would you like to talk for a couple hours? <laughs> How do you feel about coffee, dinner, and maybe us going on vacation together? Because then we'll cover part of it. Let's go over to Starbucks. We're going to grab a cookie and a coffee and talk this thing out. It was kind of funny. Um, Then we have the great, one of my favorite moments of the season, absolutely, on the Big Board Hall of Fame, when Aegon is fighting Aemon and he goes, I have no wish to rule, and Aemon goes, you'll get no argument from me. All time (laughs) for me. Top five funniest line in the entire damn show. Otto talking about Rhaenyra not being allowed to, quote, remain free. We knew that was going to come to a head in episode 10. And also Aemon and Lucerys seen from a few episodes ago when they were training, or really Aemon was training and trying to intimidate Lucerys. And then we see the crowning of the dragon pit and Rhaenys busting out Spencer's favorite, favorite episode of the season. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then we get the intro. Uh, do you notice any changes in the intro, Spencer? I know you watch it with a fine-tooth clone. You really like the intro. You're big into the intro. Uh, actually, here's the fun thing. I watched it with my parents. I was up visiting them for the weekend. And when we reached that point, my dad Shout immediately... Out to the leeches. Yeah, all of us were clustered on a couch together watching it. It was a, it was a blast. The uh, moment we reached the intro, my dad grabbed the remote and said, not watching that bullshit, and skipped it before I could even comment. Like, father, like, son. Does he listen to the podcast? My mom does. I don't know if he does. So I'll, he, I'll, They I'll, probably know you hate it. They're probably just being great parents, yeah, as always. I appreciate that level of support within the family. Isn't that great? I only wish we could see that more on the show. I'll tell you what I noticed in the intro is that Steve Toussaint's name was on it. And I started screaming to Sarah, Sea Snake is back! Sea Snake is back! So I really spoiled that for her. <laughs> um, <laughs> we start with the table on Dragonstone, and Lucerys is standing around it. As soon as they showed the first person was Lucerys in this like dim room, and Rhaenyra comes in, I'm like... Heartstring Central. Because I knew what was coming from the books. I knew what was coming from Twitter. So, like, I was like, man, they are going to play with it all. They're going to play with those heartstrings all episode, boy. And they do. They do. It's it's well executed. They want to make their relationship front and center throughout everything about how they have an adorable, supportive relationship, about how Luke doesn't know whether he's up to this, but is going to try the best to make his mom happy. And that's well sold. Show you know, we haven't had much of an opportunity to see see them with each other before, other than that she obviously cared for him. But this episode made people hurt in a way it needed to. So, kudos. So my mom is. I think I refer to her like as, as one of the casuals. By the way, folks, when I use the word casuals, that isn't remote. Like to explain to term people, of endearment. I, that. I talk about the casuals on every single podcast that I do on Mega Talks Podcast Network, and I talk about people who are casual watchers because they're the most important watchers. Because without casual watchers, the show wouldn't exist. By the way, the vast majority majority of television I watch, I'm a casual watcher. 
Uh, I just tried to be a casual washer of rings of power. That didn't go so well. I had to study, uh, but I've been a casual washer. Like, like that is not remotely derogatory, right? Like that, that's how most people intake television. But Very much. the reason I bring it up is because I'm trying to figure out like, if you are just what not going through it with a tie, fine tooth comb, fine tooth comb, like you and I are Spencer, are you going to pick things up? Right. So I talked to my mom about the episode. First off, she didn't hear that Eamon was saying no, which I thought was interesting. A lot of people apparently missed that. They've missed either Rx and uh, Luke saying, no, no, Rx, listen to me, listen to me. Or they missed Damon, in part because it's just such a chaotic scene and everything. That's what happened with her, I think. She was so distraught over the whole thing that I think she just sort of missed it. Second is she told me. Her favorite character going into this episode was Little Lucerius. That's so they have oh, they that had succeeded. Poor dear. That poor yeah. dear. <laughs> so they had succeeded in like really painting him in a, I think a really uh, sympathetic light for most fans, right? Um, and I get that because like this conversation he has here is with Renera. I wanted to give the little guy a hug. I really did. So he starts by saying, um, he touches Driftmark and he stands there, contemplative. Renera comes in. Really tragic music pl- music playing, lots of foreshadowing mm-hmm. going on. Lucerius mm-hmm. says, hey, the sea snake's going to die, right? And before Rhaenyra can even give an answer, Lucerius just starts spouting off that he can't be Lord of the Tides. The sea snake was the greatest sailor ever. He gets, quote, green sick, seasick, before the ship even leaves the harbor. He can't possibly lead this whole fleet, which I want to tell little Lucerius, like, hey, listen to our podcast from a couple episodes ago. Spencer and I absolutely explained how you could do this with no problems. You don't have to be the sailor. It's all good. Uh, but he doesn't seem to got the message there. And he actually says this, which actually broke my heart a little bit. I'll just ruin everything. I don't want Driftmark. It should have passed to Surveyman. This scene really resonated with me. I've heard some people online said, oh, look, this guy's weak. He's not he's not capable of his birthright oh, or whatever else. Weak? He's like 12. But this is, it really worked with me where this is a guy that's feeling the weight of his legacy, the weight of his heritage on his shoulders, probably for the first time that you're really pondering it out. And it's crushing because it is what's expected of him is beyond what any person should be able to bear. But this is what he needs to be able to rise to and do. And like anybody at that age or thereafter, for that matter, in this moment, he's feeling a moment of weakness. He's scared. He doesn't know what to do. He's going to his mom for reassurance and expressing a certain measure of self-doubt. This was a very human and I found lovely scene between these two characters. Do you think he's really going for reassurance? Because I kind of felt like he was literally telling her, like, take it away. I don't want it. Well, I, I think it's think that's that fun fun mix of where he was having a kind of legitimate breakdown, but it's always with that little undercurrent of where he's having it to his mom. And he's always kind of hopeful that his mom's going to be the person there that's, that's going to be able point. to pick him up yeah. again. Mm-hmm. So she says, we don't choose our destiny, Luke. It chooses us. Great line. Potential line. Oh, episode. Yeah. Luke Luke points out that Viserys let her choose if she wanted to be heir. <laughs> Spencer, question for you. Good call. Did he? Did he? Ah, yes. I think kind of yes. When I did think... he? When did he ask her? Like, all I, all, here's what I remember. Tell me if I'm wrong. I remember her coming to the room with Balerian Skull and him casually mentioning, well, if you're going to be heir, then XYZ has to happen and her what? eyes lighting up and then him just going into the prophecy. I never got, got a scene where he said, hey, do you want to be heir? Yes or no? I interpreted that scene as him being that, though. I will admit he didn't literally say, check yes, no, are you into this? Um, but it felt to me like he was essentially just testing her about, if you want to be heir, this is what you have to understand. This is the obligation you have to take on. Are you okay with this? And that she said yes. That's kind of how I interpret that scene. And it seems to be that's how Rhaenyra described it to her children as to what happened. That's true. It does seem to be she described it that way. But it it, it would seem to me that if you're the king and you're the father and yes. you have all the power in all the world. It's, it is Viserys here. Let's it's keep prob- 
Yeah, but it's still probably important to ask the question because there's so much implicit yeah, okay, yes, yes, implicit yes. pressure on her to want to accept that he probably needed to have the real like, hey, look, do you really want this? Like, it's important to give her that agency, I think, but uh, that's just me. No, I, um, particularly but, since that she is in defiance of what have been the previous understood laws of succession in Westeros. It's a... Not only am I naming you the position to be the most powerful people in the realm with almighty duties and stresses and threats upon you, I'm also doing so in a way that not everybody's going to be, you know, default to accept. So you're even more kind of out there on a girder hoping you don't fall off. Isn't that kind of like Viserys, how he kind of, he kind of buried the lead a little bit, right? Because he's not that, he never just sat her down and was like, hey, look, this is going to fucking suck for you. Like, it's going to be hard. You're probably going to have to fight a war. Like... He never did any. He, he, you know, he's so like Viserys was so like, eh, it'll be fine. Everybody will get yeah, along. Like he never. I don't think he appropriately, like, explained to her how difficult it might be. Well, I, I think that's a wonderful way of describing it. I'd also add in something we get from Damon this episode is that he's so wrapped up in prophecy that's his lead. That's the thing he focuses on. Not the mechanics of ruling. Not the difficulty getting anybody on the same page. But that this is the Targaryen legacy and the prophecy has guided all of our actions and we have to be in place. Because that's what Viserys cares more about rather than the actual minutia being king. Uh, Rhaenyra then says, look, let me tell you how it really went down. All right, Luke, let me give you, let me hit you some real. Let me hit you some real. She says, I was terrified. Uh, I was four and ten. I was 14. Millie Alcock did not look 14 in that scene, but hey, she was 14. Uh, she wasn't ready to be queen, but it was her duty. And in time, she came to understand that she had to earn her inheritance. That's an important, important concept, because I think that from Rainey's perspective, she does that this episode. I, she I, like, I, go ahead. She both earn she both earns it, but she also sees the costs of it in a way I don't think she's ever fully previously understood. And I think, I think that's effectively done. This also sets up what I thought was a very adorable moment, because it's a moment that I think every kid has with respect to their parents, of where they reach an age where they still view their parents. Hey, this is a trope. It's still there. You may not have had this, you that's shaking your head right now. But thinking that your parents are superheroes and that, you know, they can't go wrong or whatever else. And Luke's clearly still in that mindset when he says, I'm not like you. In what way, sweet boy? I'm not so perfect. And the smile that lights up Rhaenyra's face, that's just, you know, the love her son has for her, and just the... Still very faulty understanding of how human our parents are is just adorable. Yeah. And I maintain that like Emma Darcy doesn't give us a lot of smiles. So when we get one, it, it kind of jumps off the screen and that mm -hmm. one certainly was. And you know what, what they were, you know, illustrating is how flattered Rhaenyra was by this and how much she really loves Luke. And there's little stuff that goes on through this episode that made me feel like Luke was her favorite. Um, she constantly was looking at him. You know, when the, when Jace is like, Hey, we'll do it. She's like looking at Luke. She doesn't agree until Luke gives her a nod. Like there's a lot of little stuff in this episode where it seems to me Renera really favors Luke a lot. Yeah, I mean, and you know, they're just making it hurt. Very effectively. But I also think it's in keeping with some things we've seen before that I think Luke is indeed her favorite. And I think that that makes it all the worse. But by the time we reach the end of this episode. So parents have favorites. Yes. Whether they admit it or not, they do just accept who's, that people. Who's your, who's your parents' favorite? Is it you? I will not hurt them by saying out loud my theories. Oh, okay. Interesting. Uh, I think it's you. It's probably you. Everybody loves Spencer. Uh, then she says, I am anything but my father. My father looked after me and helped prepare me for my duties. Did he? Question mark. We had a lot of problems with Viserys not helping her be prepared for her duties. I guess she eventually got there, it seemed like. Because she, by the time we did the time jump, Renera was a part of the small council. But like, there was a long time where we felt like, 
She should have been much more involved in the politics of Westeros where she wasn't. Like she was still the cupbearer for a long time as the heir. It was weird. And this this seems like something that must have happened in the middle of the time jump because we go from her being the cupbearer to her having her own marble on the council. So it's like, Ooh. okay, fine, sure. That might that 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 must have happened there. Didn't see much on camera. Yeah, she then says, "I'll do the same for you. I'll I'll help you out." So uh, you know, he thinks his mom's perfect. So that's pretty pretty all the all the reassurance he needs, I think. Then Sir Laurent, this is Sir Laurent, comes in. And says, good morrow, good morrow, Sir Laurent. And he says, Princess Rainey's has just come in on Dragonback, all in a huff. She was quite rude to me and requested an audience with you and Sir Damon. And oh. uh, Rhaenyra's like, ooh, okay, all right, let's do go, let's go do this. Rhaenyra does ask about Corliss um, at the start of this meeting, but Rainey's comes right out with it, just as Viserys is dead. What did you think of the reaction to Viserys is dead? I really like how differently Damon and Rhaenyra took it. Because Damon immediately defaults to anger, distrust, and paranoia. Whereas Rhaenyra seems to be mostly coming from it from just a sense of profound loss. And, you know, sadness is a result of that. And I think that's really in keeping with their two characters of where Damon's expression of sadness is, who can I punch for this? Yeah, I mean, they're both really worked up. I guess the thing that shocked me about this epi- this scene is how shocked they were. It's like he was a walking corpse days ago. Like he, they said, they seemed floored that he died. It's like, I don't know. He seemed like he was about to die at the dinner table. Like I, I, I didn't know why they were so surprised. That, that, that is, it is interesting. Cause we got the same reaction out of Lord Beesbury. It's like, he was in great health the night before he was doing fine. And like, were y'all watching the same dude? This, I, I, we had, you and I had no doubts that the moment he walked out of that throne room, that that guy wasn't dead in a week. Just, the, yeah. just from the sheer exertion of what he put on himself. But it seems like everybody had some serious rose-tinted glasses going into his health. Or maybe it was just a certain element of hope, because Rhaenyra was aiming to come back, like, here in a couple days anyway, and just didn't want to ponder that she might never see him again. Damon turns around, and we get a camera shot of him looking quite impacted. Uh, so does Rhaenyra, by the way. She seems very affected. Rainey says, look, my cousin, your father, Rhaenyra, I grieve his loss with you. Um, he possessed a kind heart. She walks over and says, but there's more. And this yeah. is where Damon goes, and his like, like inspector gadget head, tick, 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 what'd you say? And she goes, Aegon has been crowned as his successor. As soon as Rhaenyra hears that, she seems to get a cramp or contraction or something in her stomach. She's like, literally just, just like, like that. Like she's been kicked in the gut. Yeah. Rhaenyra tears up and says, they crowned him. And Damon jumps right to anger and says, how, how did the series die? How did he <laughs> die? He's immediately like, okay, they murdered him. Obviously. Of course they did. Which Lord Beesbury is the exact same thought process of where, well, isn't it convenient that he just died right here? So it's delightful to see Damon just immediately go down the rabbit hole of how he's going to kill them for what they did to his brother. Oh, yeah. Like, by the folks, what we've seen of Damon so far has been like a three. At the Stepstones, he was, he was napping through the Stepstones. It's about to wake up. <laughs> When he cut uh, the crab feeder in half and hauled his corpse out to throw to all of his assembled soldiers, that JV was shit. mildly peeved. Nothing. Um, <laughs> yeah. And what kills me, though, is that, like, he jumps straight to, because Rainey's is like, I don't know how he died. And he's like, all right, Viserys has been murdered. And it's like, well, like we just talked about, I'm not so I'm not sure that's a reasonable place Assumption. to go to. Although, although he is upset about his brother's death, so you can't really ask him to be reasonable, right? Yeah. Rhaenyra says, Alicent demanded you declare... For Aegon, like she's like, what? She's still processing that Alicent would do this because just a couple days ago, Alicent was like holding was her holding arms, telling hand. her, we're going to be, you're going to be a great queen, et cetera, et cetera. Yes. Rainey says, yeah, she did. And a tense moment here 
And then Rainey says, um, tense moment happens because Damon goes basically like, did you? And, and like looking at her, like, give me an answer. And she goes, but I refuse to those. Like saying, what? I refuse to, to bend the knee. It, it, it's a fair moment for Damon's paranoia. It's like, they asked you to do that and you're here. Yeah. He says, you're alive. And she's like, well, you know, they had the coronation. Basically, these idiots are so stupid. They had the coronation of the dragon pit. So I hitched a rattle on Maylee's and got the fuck out of there. And they're like, okay. And but Damon's like, didn't Wait kill them. <laughs> Rhaenyra still is processing this and goes, they crowned him before the masses. She says, grabbing at her stomach. Spencer, my question to you, why is no one in this room asking Rhaenyra if she's okay? Too distracted by other events. It's what the shame. fuck? I mean, it's like this pregnant lady is... is holding belly and, and going, oh, 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 like it, just going to let everybody know it, in my life. If I'm ever in a room with a pregnant lady holding her belly saying it hurts, I'm going to be like, uh, you all right? <laughs> He, she she is visibly and obviously in distress, and meanwhile, Damon's about three steps into pre preparing his war plan. Yeah, Damon then hits him with a potential line of the episode. He's got some fucking singers this episode. He said, that whore of a queen murdered, murdered my brother and stole his throne, and you could have burned them all for it. So he right out with it. Rainey says, look, she says even-tempered, and she says, look, a war is like to be fought over this, right? I'm sure of that. But that war is not mine to begin. And I thought that was, as we talked about on the recap, I thought that was the best explanation of her move that I've heard from Far anybody. Far away. Which is, it's like, if I do this, then obviously all the high towers, all, it, 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 war's gonna ensue, right? Is it really my, my responsibility to start this war? Especially considering the fact that I am the, the, the lady of House Valerian, House Valerian has not picked a side. I haven't talked about this with my husband yet. Like, it does make some sense that she would say, hmm, not really my place here to get this war started. That that clicked with me a little bit. It, it, it still doesn't sell me perfectly on the scene. The scene's got several problems. But I will fundamentally agree that compared to all the explanations that we got from the writers in every major publication in America trying to explain that scene, the one they actually wrote for the next episode I think works best. Why didn't you just go with that one in terms of explaining what happened? Were you afraid that you were going to effectively spoil the next episode? Don't worry. HBO will do that. We'll fix that for you in terms of releasing it online. Gosh. And, and remember season seven and eight, there were leaks like every other episode, like a couple yeah, of days. It was bad. HBO's got a real problem with it. Rainey says, look, I only rushed this over here out of loyalty to you and my house. The Greens are coming for your Rhaenyra and your children. You should leave Dragonstone at once. I'll tell you this. Damon never considers leaving Dragonstone. I will tell you that. Not, <laughs> not at any no. point. I don't think Rhaenyra did either, honestly. If Rhaenyra was still considering her options, she had other things to distract her with for the next 25 minutes of this episode. But I don't think either of them really ever even entertained the idea of fleeing. Not, not part of their game plan. Rhaenyra doubles over in pain, checks under her skirt, and has blood on her hands. And she says, the babe is coming. Cut to Rhaenyra birthing. She's got a birthing dress on. She's standing there, and she's she's going through it, but she's really struggling. Uh, the maester is talking to the midwife, telling her that Rhaenyra's term is nowhere near complete, and this shouldn't be happening now. It is fucking happening! Rhaenyra yeah. screams at him. The midwives are trying to help her, and they can't get to her. So, you know, I think in the book, it's pretty clear that... Renero went into a fit of rage when she heard that Aegon had been crowned. For like that three induced, days. That induced the labor. For three days, she struggled with it. They could hear her all throughout the castle of Dragonstone screaming and yelling, cursing Aegon, cursing the babe for not coming out, yelling and screaming, and ultimately having a, a child that was stillborn, 
stillborn but had like dragon scales and a Deformed, dragon tail, yeah. etc. Now I've got like a whole separate jag on why I think it's important that every once in a while Tar- Targaryen baby come out with like dragon scales. Which they're they've not never going done. that way. They're not going that way in the show, so let's scrap all that for this conversation. I'm not sure it's clear to everyone that the being upset about this the crowning of Aegon induced the labor for Rhaenyra. Did that did that hit you that her being upset about that particular piece of news is what induced the labor? I, I think it's I, I think very much they're framing it that I don't, I, I don't see a way to see the scene other than unless you just want to say it's coincidental that receiving this news caused her to go into early labor. Now, whether you want to say that that is just a utterly rage-induced event, the way that is clearly set out in the books, that she's just screaming vile for three days, I don't think that's as much clear. I think I think the emphasis here that we got from Rhaenyra's reaction was just a profound sense of betrayal, a profound sense of feeling that she had a moment of where she and Allison looked like they were going to be best friends again, or at least have a hope of such, and that's just been utterly slammed in her face. So whether you want to describe that as anger or just profound loss and sorrow... Harder to say, but I, I think it's hard to dispute from what they show us that receiving this news didn't directly cause the events that followed. Rhaenyra's moods are much more extreme in the book. Uh, <laughs> that's a, that's a minimum. That's a, what, that's like a, a which know, is a sort of which is which is pointedly, if you want to work into an existing trope and theme, it's men describing what her what her what her reactions were and consistently describing them as being as an eleven in all things at all times. So question of reliable account or not so that's great that's true but some of the actions that she actually does take are those of pretty extreme emotions so like i tend to believe that she's a little bit more of an extreme character than what we're seeing a bit more on screen um so she's just out of out of her mind in the book screaming and yelling everybody can hear it but here it seems like she's upset she's not accepting help and she does seem to be rushing the process because she's screaming get out i did she did say that in the show she screams get out so it seems like she's trying to rush the process a little bit in the show. One thing I want to ask you about this scene, because this is something that people have been pondering right and left online. While we see her in the middle of this throes of labor, while we see her struggling with this, while we hear and see other scenes of her screams and calling for Damon echoing throughout Dragonstone, we get little flashes to Cyrax. The dragon. Mm-hmm. It looked like Cyrax to me in terms of the yellow of the, yellow of the uh, scales and everything else. What did you make of that? What do you think we were supposed to interpret out of that? Cyrax was screaming too. This was effectively that kind of psychic bond that we've described before between dragon rider and dragon. Yeah. That, I mean, I think you can, t- I think there's two ways to take it that I thought of. It's that, which I prefer, or it's that, um, you know, that sort of when Targaryens go to an extreme with their emotions, that they're almost dragon like, you know, like how they, like the dragon is coming out in them, quote, like, right. And that her extreme, she's becoming very extreme with her emotions. And that's what's charting her course in this moment. Like, I, I think there's one or two ways to think of it. I like the idea that Cyrax is in pain now, too, because he feels what's going on with her. I, or she prefer, feels what's going on with her. I very much prefer that. I've also heard, you know, the idea that dra- Targaryens actually even have dragon blood. So in some that's ways, that's what would, I was going to talk about. Yeah. But. Uh, um, and I think I, that's true in the books. I don't think that's necessarily true in the show. If it isn't true in the show, they've really not set it up the same way other than being what they almost explicitly indicate it's metaphorical. But I, I think it is very much a psychic connection. And I think that's very important that it is that and that they're giving us a taste of that. Adding on to what we've had previously for where the episode ends later and how the dragons react with respect to their to their masters. Or at least their dragon I, riders, I should say. It's also not like... 
every dragon has a personality. Every person has a personality, right? Of course. And every bond is different. There are, there are some bonds between people and dragons that they are so t- like uh, what's yeah. described as Aegon and Balerion. I mean, he could he could in essence make Balerion, you know, stand on one foot and scratch its head and you know but, do the hokey pokey and turn itself around if he wanted to. Like that's kind of how they describe it, right? But then there are other examples where we have a lot of a whole lot of evidence that there's there's a this really tight bond between dragon and rider. I think the best one we have right now on the show is Damon and Craxes because Craxes does seem to do to bend to Damon's will, do exactly what he wants him to do at any moment. But then there are also examples where the bond isn't quite as strong. We saw just the sort of beginning and formation of the bond between Jace and Vermex in a couple of episodes ago, where Vermex was obviously comfortable with Jace being around, but wasn't necessarily bonded to him. And I would argue that the bond with Amon and Vagar is not one of the stronger bonds you're going to see in the show. And that's probably because Vagar's 150 years old, been around the block before. You know what I'm saying? So it's not quite the same thing as if, you know, the dragon had grown, literally grown up with the person, like a lot of these dragons that hatch in the cradle of the Targaryens do. So what I'm just trying to convey is that, like, I feel like each bond is different along with each rider and each dragon is different. I very much agree, and I think in some ways it may also just be what stage of the game you are for the dragon of where we never really heard... It seemed like Visenya and Vagar were very close and very much a direction of each other's will in terms of what Visenya could get Vagar to do. That may just be fading over time just due to, you know, passage of time, aging of the dragon, lack of a close connection. Because we saw the same thing with Balerion, of course. Like you said, Balerion and Aegon were joined at the hip. Balerion was basically just an extension of Aegon's will. You got to a couple generations later, and Balerion just basically kidnaps uh, Princess Arya Targaryen, takes her over to Valeria, and then hangs out there for a year before he takes her back. He, let me explain something. I'll tell you, let me explain what happened there, uh, sir. Uh, <laughs> I've sure. Got theories. I've got theories. I, I, yeah. She ran and jumped on Balerion, and Balerion taught her a lesson, which was... <laughs> Don't do, do that. This? <laughs> Don't do that. And took her to Valeria and then she got some sort of illness and ended up dying. So, um, and it, but then also like, I think that not like, I think that we have evidence in the book that there are some bonds with dragon and writers that are really strong. And then when the dragon picks up a different writer later on, it's not necessarily strong. I think that's what we're seeing with Vagar here. You, sure. have, you made a great point that Vagar and Visenya were locked at the hip. And I think that what the show is telling us is that Vagar, when the show starts is out you know, near Spice Town, singing a sad song, missing Visenya, and mm-hmm. wants a writer, but will always be Visenya's Always dragon. second best. Oh, yeah, absolutely, always. And I doubt very seriously that Vagar would have skirted, you know, and done the left turn on Visenya the same way she did Aim in this episode. So I, I personally find the bond between dragon and dragon writers interesting, and I love that they're exploring that that bond is not like you know, snap a whip and like, like a, like a robot, right? It's, they're not robotic well, and you have to sort of understand the context of each rider, each dragon and the action being performed and the atmosphere they're around at the time. It's also fair to say that if Vicinia had been at Storm's End for that particular scene, she probably would have murdered Luke before he even walked into the throne room, just to, to put it, put it out differently. But you know, Vicinia do Vicinia things. Vicinia did like kids. She Remember did. That. She did. At least she might once. not have killed Luke. She might not have killed Luke. She might have took Luke off. Maybe took Luke for a ride on Vagar. Who knows? And if he falls um, off, things happen. Cut to Damon. He's got a council of people around the table. He's explaining they need to use small boats to patrol the perimeter because if the Greens attack now, it will be by stealth, not directly. Damon, smart guy. Why? Because that's the first thing Otto said he wanted to do. 
The very mm-hmm. first thing he told the King's guard, Hey, go make, Sneak it, in. make it quick, make it easy, make it clean. So he's absolutely calling Otto's first move. Now they don't have enough men to surround the Island. He says, but we can make ourselves appear stronger than they are. They hear Renera screaming as they're talking. Damon tells Sir Laurent to conscript the dragon keepers. Apparently they're capable fighters. That's interesting because later on we see Damon approach a dragon and there's no dragon keeper to be found, right? So like <laughs> he's very aware that now the dragons don't have drag- dragon keepers around. Uh, and maybe in keeping with some of his plans by establishing a personal connection himself with them. Rhaenyra continues to scream in the background. Cut to Jace and Luke. They're practicing swords outside. Jace is really hard on Luke. That was kind of out of character, did wasn't it? That was interesting because they at this point haven't heard that uh, Viserys is dead. They don't find out about that until later when Rhaenyra tells them. So there wasn't this is just clear... how they normally operate. Apparently, like what is Jace doing? Yeah, it, it was weird because it, it wasn't. I, don't, I can't say it's not necessarily in keeping because we've only seen a little bit of the two of them together, and pointedly we saw them when other people were looking, and he was trying to bulk up his brother. Maybe in person, Jace is this this kind of hard on Luke, and just it's really a tough teacher to the point that even the the Kingsguard guy next to him is like, "Dude, dude, just die with back a little. Die, you'll learn better if you're not constantly just beating him into the dirt." Do you know who the Kingsguard guy next to him was? I could I I've stuck with the Kingsguard names. Which one was this? Stefan Darkly, who is who, actually the person who brings Viserys crown in the book. So yeah, it's, that's a little little book reader shout out to have Stefan Darkly there on Dragonstone with Renera. I like that. Stefan is a significantly bigger character in the books than at least we've seen so far here, and that his his, his role has either otherwise been assigned to Eric, not Eric. Rainey's comes out very very nice, very uh, genteel as she mm-hmm. tends to be with children. Says that Renera needs to see them both. In comes Jason Luke, Renera in childbirth, just screams, ah, fuck, and then turns around. Mom? <laughs> the maester's like, ah, your kids are here. She sees them, and she's like, okay. And, and, you know, I do really admire that Renera wants to give this news to her children Personally. herself, regardless of her position. I mean, she's in so much pain. This is obviously a hard thing for her to do, but she wants to t- be the one to tell them. So she tells them, your grandsire, King Viserys, is passed. Notice, dear Spencer, Luke is the one that shouts... Viserys in grief. Yeah. Like he's the, he's one of the, like the only, like not, like not principal characters, right? Non Damon Renera people who seems to have grief and like sympathy for, for Viserys as his first mm-hmm. reaction, as opposed to the, like the sort of cold calculation that most people are doing, which is like, what does this mean for Renera, et cetera, et cetera. Including Jace so again, for that matter. Making us like, making us like Luke, really. Okay. Meanwhile, as you said, Jace, Jace's response is pretty cold calculus because he just pretty much hones in on where's Damon, which is a good question to ask in this given this, this given moment. I think they're giving us an indication that there is a a, a burgeoning sort of uh, conflict and rivalry between Jace and, and Very Damon, which so. would make sense. Oldest son of a mom, mom gets Step a new dad. husband. They're gonna buck. Yeah, they're gonna buck heads. You You're not my real dad, dad, kind of thing. Yeah, nor, nor, no, nor was my, dad. nor was my official dad either. I've got a very complicated dad history. Nobody, you, you, none of you are my real dads. <laughs> <laughs> my real dad died in a fire at a castle. Fuck all of y'all. <laughs> Renera goes on painfully. The Greens have repudiated the succession, claimed the Iron Throne. Aegon has been crowned king. <laughs> hadn't thought about that. My, saying my real dad died in a fire in a castle really just applied to both of his dads, doesn't it? <laughs> it does indeed. Yes. Fuck. Okay. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Um, yeah, a lot of, a lot of, damn, a lot of fire, fire shockingly, in the Targaryen, shockingly in the Targaryen family. A lot of people dying by fire. Mm. Uh, Jace and Luke, especially Jace, seem godsmacked by this piece of news, which is Aegon has been crowned, right? Jace says, what is to be done about it? 
Rhaenyra says, absolutely nothing yet. Jace, hearing she wants to do nothing, asks the perfect next question, which is, well, where is Damon? If you want to do nothing, where's Damon? Because I bet he's not doing nothing. Yeah. And she cops to that. She says, I don't know. Gone to madness. Gone to plot his war. I don't know. At this point, she seems angry that he's not with her. Is that fair? Yeah. I, I, I felt like that so much of the screams that they hear are really her calling him to her. Just like, damn it, I'm having your kid right now. Kind of could use the support. But he is, I think it's fair to say he, from his perspective, is supporting her, or at least supporting their cause. Oh, he thinks In a very so, yeah. different way than what she feels she needs right now. But what he may not know is that she's refusing to let anybody else help her except for potentially him. And yeah. I'm going to, when we get there, I think it was really important someone help her. Um, so uh, Jace says, leave Damon with me. Oh, tough talking. Jace, you can handle <laughs> Damon, luck, huh? Oh, yeah. See, you yeah, really seem like you handled him at dinner the other night, by the way. Uh, <laughs> he he checked you in a corner. One finger. Handle one finger. <laughs> Quiet of the room. Renera calls for Jace to come back. She says, whatever claim remains to me, you are now its heir. Not is to be done, but by my command. So Renera is establishing right now. I'm, I'm having a charge. baby. Nothing's happening, but I am in charge. Um, Renera continues to struggle as Jace leaves. Cuts to the war council around the table, and Damon is being told that the sea snake's fever has broken. He's left Evenfall. They don't know where he's going. How about that? Mm -hmm. How about that? Sea snake, tough guy for, what is he at this point? 70? You mean he's up No! There. What's wrong with you? He's not that old. No 92, 87, something. Nah, he's like in his late 50s. If, uh, by medieval terms, the guy's 70. The late 50s is an old guy. Well, that's fair in medieval dog years. That you're absolutely right. He's a pretty old guy. But he's in, <laughs> I think he's, I think in the book, he's like 50 something, 55 or something. Um, okay. Damon says they will send ravens to their nearest allies. I'm going to, I'm going to read you the houses. Spencer, you tell me what all these houses have in common. Darkling, Massey, Bar Emmon. What do they all have in common? They're tiny in their local islands. Basically, they're not. They're not. They're, they're not people that are going to massively swing the tide in their favor. Even though House Keltigar stands there before them right now. Yeah, they're basically like houses that are on small islands around Dragonstone. That like the, the, these we are know are going to support them anyway. They don't really have a choice. Why? Because dragons are flying over their head all the time. Yeah, for perspective's sake, the, each one has like twenty people. Yeah, for, for perspective's sake, these are the same guys that died in service of Stannis when he was trying to attack King's Landing in season two. Yeah, they're going to support whoever is the heir, uh, the the owner of Dragonstone because they live so close. Mm -hmm. Then they hear Rhaenyra yell for Damon. He seems to hear it but ignore it. Laurent asks Damon if he wants to speak with the Maester, and Damon just stares him down. Whew! Basically, like don't get my personal shit. Basically, uh -huh. is what that lake is. Damon says, "I'll fly to the Riverlands myself and affirm Lord Tully's support." Is that Jace Valerian's music? You will do no such thing. Tough talking, Jace. Credit to the kid. He comes in with just a head full of steam and just is here to be the executor of his mother's will. Yeah. Everyone around the table looks at him except for Damon. Jace goes on, my mother has decreed no action be taken while she's abed. Damon cuts him a side eye, seems irritated, and said, it's good you're here, young prince. You need to you need to patrol the skies on Vermax. <laughs> Get the hell out. Here's my question to you, Spencer. Damon seems very ready to send all three of the kids, by the way, including Joffrey, young Joffrey, up in the sky to do patrolling, to do whatever on these dragons. All three of these dragons are small dragons. Mm -hmm. Is he not thinking through like what the fuck would happen if Eamon just came around? Is he, it does it not even come into his mind that Eamon might show up on Vagar. I would be very reticent to send any one of those three children on a on a dragon anywhere. As long as Eamon and Vagar are still in the seven kingdoms and I don't know where they are. 
I mean, it's one of those things about if sending them up has its value. They serve as scouts. They let you know the enemies are coming. They let you prepare. You're not going to do anything if Vagar's coming. Unless you've got all your dragons aloft at the same time, that's not going to happen. You can't keep that going at all times. But at least if you're up there, you'll be able to see it and send notice and warning down so that, you know, Caraxes, Melis, or Cyrax could take off and help, help things out. It's very much in the category of, is it necessarily contributing that much to hold off their single best weapon? No. But it's useful to hold off their other ones and at least give you notice if the biggest weapon's coming to bear. Damon stands there grinding his teeth. Jay says, did you hear what I said? And Damon says, stands there grinding his teeth and finally says, the ravens, Lord Bartimos. Bartimos looks at Damon. Well, he says Bartimos. I, I know, I'm, just, I, right? I'm just pointing out that he's Celticar because I'm just very amused that this other Valerian house has finally showed up in the show. Yeah, his name is Bartimos Celtigar, and he's uh, he's the crab man. He's crab. Crabs. Mm-hmm. Not the crab feeder. He's house. Here- yeah, it's different crabs. Um, yeah, this is Alaskan king crab. Let's focus on that. Good crab. Crabs. This is the good crab. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Bartimus looks at Damon, then Jason says, I think I'm going to go with Damon. He says, it'll be done. Uh, Damon goes to walk out, tells Sir Laurent to go get Sir Stefan. So both of the Kingsguard that are there with them mm-hmm. on Dragonstone and tells um, Jace, hey, come with me. I'll show you the true meaning of loyalty. <laughs> at least from Damon's perspective. Yeah. Damon mentions uh, they get out to the Dragon Mount and he's got... Sir Lawrence, Sir Stefan, right there, standing like down, and he's standing up. This almost like seems very reminiscent of the season, what was it, seven scene of Daenerys with oh after the battle of after the after their own the field of fire too. Yes. Yeah, she had the Samuel the, the Tarleys there, the survivors of the Tarleys and the Lannisters. Yeah, and so she's yeah, it kind of looked like a similar pacing and and, and blocking of the scene. similar threat. Yeah, or similar blocking, I mean. Yeah, so Damon mentions they swore an oath. Lawrence says, yep. Damon says, well, to who? He says, well, first to Jaehaerys, then to Viserys, who succeeded him. So Viserys had been king about 20 years, so this guy's been in the service of, I don't know, 25 years, something like that. Damon says, do you acknowledge a true line of succession? Spencer, I ask you, do you acknowledge a true line of succession? Of course, my prince. So Kendall Roy should be king. Got it. They both say yes. Damon looks around angrily. Do you recall who King Viserys named as his heir before his death? Princess Rhaenyra, says Lauren. Um, and he says, I'm grateful for your long service to the crown, so I'm presenting you a choice. So basically, and then we start hearing Caraxes' weird chirping and squealing. Love I, it. I love that red pool noodle whenever it comes out. That dra- That is my favorite dragon of the show. Yeah, Spencer would ride Caraxes for sure. It's uh, He just makes this weird, like, chirping weird noise. And, like, I've told you before that they said that um, Caraxes has a deviated septum, which is why it makes that sound. Um, so we see... Caraxes, and he basically says, look, you can swear anew your your oath to Rhaenyra right now as queen. And Prince Jaehaerys, as the heir to the Iron Throne, by the way, this guy standing right here to my right. Or uh, you can die, uh, and I will give you a clean death. And I think what he means by clean death is fire so hot that you're not really going to feel it. it mm-hmm. you'll, just, you'll just be ashes very quickly. Um, doesn't seem like a clean death to me, but he seems to think it is. Um, we see Rhaenyra struggling. It's a cutaway to Rhaenyra with the struggling. And again, I think we're seeing the parallel of this idea that Emma Aaron first introduced in episode one, which is Rhaenyra's on her battlefield. Damon's on his, right? Very much so. Damon then tells them, look, if you, here's the deal. Like you can swear fealty to Rhaenyra or you can, uh, die. But if you swear fealty to Rhaenyra, you turn your cloaks later, you will die screaming. That's what he says. Yeah. 
Among the various people on this show that can make that threat and sell it, Damon's on that list. I fully believe that if Damon wants me to die screaming, he will be inventive in making that happen. I think they believed him too. But I also <laughs> think they were, they, the, but those two Kingsguard who were in the service of Renera were going to swear fealty to her anyway. I don't think they were ever hesitating, either one of them. To what degree do you interpret this as a message to the, like, do percentages for me. What percentage is this a message to the Kingsguard versus what percentage of this is a message to Jace right now? 80-20, Jace to the Kingsguard. Is it mostly we're aiming for Jace here about, I want to give you a little bit of lesson about how you need to wield power to be safe or whatever else. Dreams didn't make us kings, dragons did, right? Like, he always goes back to the dragons. That's their power. Like he believes that that, and he, I think he's right, by the way, that that's their power. That's what separates them from other families. So he always goes back to that. I think he's trying to impress that upon Jace. I don't think he ever thought either one of these guys were going to swear fealty to Aegon. I don't, he knows them well enough. I don't think that that was ever in question. I don't think he would have allowed them to be on Dragonstone if he wasn't reassured as to their loyalty. I think he, pro- I think he was very careful about which Kingsguard even came to Dragonstone in the first place. So this, this is, seems like it's a necessary theater for the Kingsguard, but an effort at a lesson for Jace. During this scene, Damon has red marks on his neck. Uh, I believe that's supposed to be scars from the wound he suffered in the Stepstones. If you remember when he's on Caraxes back at the beginning of the episode, I think it's episode three, you see a bolt come kind of up in his shoulder near his neck area. All those still trying to ship the idea that Damon has grayscale. God bless you. I'm not with you. I think, and I think Lainor had also honestly had some more scars and burns too. I think these are not only just, you know, scars from battle, but I think these also just the, uh, necessary consequences of being a dragon rider you get burned yeah i think i think that's true yeah uh, cuts renera we hear renera's theme as this is going on uh did you catch what renera's theme is uh, oh, uh yeah. that thing it's the mm-hmm. same it's the same music that plays when damon puts the crown on her head that's the music i've been telling you the last couple episodes i thought might be renera's theme it is renera's theme I, because i like quite I, a bit I, I like it too and we got i think we got open and shut evidence that it's Rhaenyra's theme by it was the theme that was playing when she gets crowned right but anyway we that that's what's going on right now and she's trying to give birth we see flashes of Cyrex back and forth you've talked about this what we think about that we see Rhaenyra starting to give birth and she's doing it herself never seen this before gotta tell you never seen it before Spencer never seen reach the hand down to grab the head situation never seen that I didn't necessarily need to see it now and I don't really have much of a desire to see it again in the future this in an episode of where we see we get to see dra- uh, kids chomped by dragons, this was our gratuitous moment for me. This was a lot. Yeah, it was tough, right? Uh, but again, it's Renera just refusing to get any help. She's literally standing and giving birth to the child. Child comes out and it's dead. Now, if you uh, if you pause it and look closely, and if you didn't, I don't blame you. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's an umbilical cord wrapped around the child's neck. Choked, yeah. Yeah. So what this obviously not like an expert in this or anything, but my what I interpreted that as is that she was pushing, rushing to get the child out. There's a billet cord around the child's neck. A midwife, Damon, someone else there might have been able to get her in a different position, help out with that situation, might have seen it when the birthing started. Any number of things could like it could only have been better than what it was. Right. Only better. By having people who were experts, the maesters and the midwives help her. But because she was refusing help, because she was pushing to get the baby out so fast, I took it as like the show was trying to tell us that the child died because of the nature of the way 
that Renera was trying to have the birth. Like, I'm, I'm not saying like she killed her child or anything, but sure. I'm saying that like, if she'd have had help from the midwife, there's a chance that the babe could have potentially survived that having the umbilical cord wrapped around the neck was the signal to the, to the audience that this whole thing was really fucked up by how it was rushed and how Renera was really pushing to try to get the babe out. That's how I took it. What'd you tell? How'd you take it? It's an interesting read. I did not look carefully at the corpse of the baby. I know that's a personal fascination of yours. So I was expecting you to give us the, the information that we needed in that regard. Uh, so do it for I the listeners, my friend, do it for the listeners. Did not see that detail. I, I was kind of interpreting it just based on what we heard from the Meister about there was very little chance this baby was going to survive regardless, just given how early it is. I mean, like, any degree of premature baby in the medieval age, your your odds of survival have just plummeted through the floor. And this seemed like, to the point that the Meister even says, this shouldn't be happening. It, I had no hope, even if I didn't know how it plays out in the book, I had no hopes the baby was going to survive anyway. So I think at a certain point, that's just adding to the list of where the mess of circumstances, the mess of events, and what's going to be Rhaenyra's perspective going forward, the actions of the Greens ensured that little, as it turns out, Visenya, was going to be the name of this baby, was just doomed to die. Yeah, I mean, in the books, I don't know how they're going to treat this in the show, but in the books, Rhaenyra basically says, you killed my child. Like, she thinks that yes. the Greens killed, killed Visenya. Did you notice that, like, as she's have she drops the baby on the floor? Like, so she must have noticed dead, and then she just drops it. Like, the baby hits the floor at one point. I didn't actually notice that. No, again, I was, I was kind of flinching during a lot of this scene. Sorry, wimpy me. Um, so I, I, that's I a, that's, I'm here for you. Uh, so she, she actually, I think she has the head of the baby. It comes out, the, the umbilical cords around it. She sees that the baby is dead. It actually drops it on the ground, which is tough to mm. see, right? Because uh, yeah, she just clearly knows the baby's dead or you would never, if there's any doubt in your mind, you'd never just drop it on yeah, you know, the, concrete, right? Ba bouncing baby girl is not, ba bouncing baby boy or bouncing baby girl are never meant to be taken literally, just advice to parents everywhere. Yeah, it cuts to Damon. He shows up and she's laying there rocking the stillborn child. Um, then we see her place the child on a table and wrap it up in front of the silent sisters. The music here is absolutely beautiful. And what she's, she's wrapping the child. You, typically the silent sisters would do this with a corpse in Westeros, but Renera is going to do it. Uh, obviously cuts to Renera. She kisses the child and we see, um, folks watching at the funeral as they burn the corpse. It's a cutaway to the funeral. We see everybody there. Renera's children, Rainey's, uh, Rhaenyra's Damon's children with Bela and Rhaenyra doesn't seem well I'll tell you this she looks frazzled her hair's sort of a mess you never see Rhaenyra with her hair a mess but her hair's sort of a mess Damon looks over her then we see Eric with an E got it right that time shout out to me as he walks up <laughs> the Knights of the King's Guard pull their sword he says ah, nope no need for that I mean no, no harm brothers I mean no harm they let him walk up to Damon he gets down on one knee and pulls out Viserys crown so uh, we, we, we said this on the recap. Man, does this guy know how to do an appropriate entrance. This wasn't a scripted, you know, crowning of the queen here. This wasn't, you know, something happening in the dragon pit. They didn't bring thousands of people here that they forced in off the streets. There was no, you know, sword, you know, gateway for, for Aegon to walk through or anything like that. But when this guy walked up with this moment, in this moment of tragedy, it's fascinating that they had her be crowned in this moment of tragedy with her son, you know, Set here for his funeral, right? Or her daughter here for funeral, right next to her. Makes for so much more of a powerful coronation than anything the Greens were able to put on with so much other pageantry and pomp. Because it just feels so much more real. It feels so much more natural. It's like it harkens back to the hunt that we saw in like episode two or episode three of where 
They go through all the pageantry of where we gotta go kill the white deer, uh, so it'll be a sign for Aegon. But in the end, in the day after she's had to fight for her life and kill that boar, her just sitting on the ridge, the deer comes to her. And it makes her so much more national recognition of who's the true heir to the realm. And this felt like it really resonated with that because as much of a painful moment I'm sure it was for Rhaenyra and she's playing catch up throughout all of it, it felt so much more as if the world itself is endorsing her here, even with just a small collection of followers around her. Yeah, and I was just thinking about there how they wrote this scene. You know, part of me is thinking like, well, is it really appropriate for Eric to come up in the middle of the funeral and, and start this whole process? And it's like, well, I'm not sure how they could have wrote it and scripted it in a way to get all those characters Present in that for scene that wasn't the funeral, right? It was the only way to really get everybody all sort of in the same room, right? So it it worked, I guess. But I part of me was thinking like, ooh, maybe maybe like hang back and pay your respects first. I don't know. Yeah, it, it would have it would have been absolutely hilarious if he tries to start the scene and everybody just goes like, dude, we're hey, at a funeral. Dude, like, we're at a funeral. No, not, not now. After the wake. After the wake. We'll all be good and hammered by then. We shrimp. He says, I swear. Spencer, I need you to get on one knee, would you? Would you get on one knee? Yep, Down. Thank you. Well, you have one. You have a choice. You could either swear now. No, hold on. He says, I swear toward the queen with all my strength. Give my blood to hers. I shall take, take no wife, hold no lands, father, no children. I shall guard her secrets, obey her commands, ride at her side and defend her name and honor. My question for you, Spencer, so you can get up now. You're, you're now sworn into the queen's guard. <laughs> Of our Queen Rhaenyra. Uh, my question for you is, is this the first time we've heard the full Kingsguard oath on either show? I think it is. I think so. It, it's a powerful oath, and it's made for a powerful scene, particularly given that he's presenting her with her father's crown, too. It Again, this man knows how to do very much you know, ad-libbed pomp and circumstance. It's a hell of a way to start her reign. I'm with Sam Tarly, though. Like these, these oaths are not specific enough. All he says is father, no children. That just means you won't have a child. That's all. I mean... No, I'm saying. It is my job to be the rules lawyer, sir. Don't start getting into that. No, I'm saying, no, I'm saying, I'm just saying. Um, Damon looks at the crown, uh, looks it over, then looks back at Rhaenyra. I kind of got a sense when he looked at that crown, Mike. There was that like passing, like that, man, I thought this would be mine. Then that mm -hmm. come out of that moment of it's not mine. Here's what I got to do, right? And then we hear Rhaenyra's theme again, uh, 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 mm -hmm. that thing. And he places the crown on her head. He gets on one knee and he says, my queen. So this is their coming together, I think, after the stillborn death, right? Very much so. Uh, and I love, in just in keeping from two episodes ago, this is the same crown he placed on his brother's head again once it had fallen to the ground, once it, once he helped his brother to the throne. And then Damon's the one that places that same crown on Rhaenyra's head to recognize her as the queen. It's the first one to take a knee before. D don't you love when your story appropriately rhymes? Yeah, and then also, like, I, I did miss this part, but I love this part, which was after Damon saw Rhaenyra with the stillborn child rocking, we get just like a half a, a second. shot of him on the beach, yeah. But he all he falls down to one knee in grief. He does. Which I'm not sure, or I'm not sure, I expected that from Damon. Like, to be that upset about a stillborn child, I, I'm not sure I expected that. that. That kind of humanized him in a way that I hope we get more of that going forward. This, including that scene almost feels like an apology from them cutting the scene after the death of Bela um, when he's comforting and allowing his children to be in grief there with him afterwards, which I still don't know why on earth they cut that scene from that episode. But it's nice to see that there, as much as we're going to see a certain sides of Damon this episode that are despicable and hard to like, 
there is a remarkable complexity to the character. So after he gets down on one knee, says my queen, everybody else there gets down <laughs> on one knee except for Rainey's. Spencer, thoughts on Rainey's not kneeling here? Because so it could be interpreted. You know, I'm not a lawyer, but I play one mm-hmm. at my job. It could be interpreted as treason here because everybody else gets down on a knee during her coronation and Rainey's refuses to do so. A lot of people would perceive that as treason. They obviously, they being Renera and Damon, did not take it that way. What are your thoughts on the scene? It's interesting. I interpreted in the moment of being that she isn't fully committed to their cause. She is, as she expressed, it's not her call to make about what side her house even picks to follow here. And so she's effectively staying uncommitted in this moment. But as you know, as you note, nobody responds negatively to it. And even more interestingly, later when her house very fully commits to Rhaenyra, she still doesn't take a knee. This just seems like this is a Rainey's trait that everyone's just like, that's what Rainey's do. She's not bowing before anybody anymore. She stands as her own woman, even if she's backing you. She will be your ally. She will be your friend. She will not be your servant. Here's my take on it. Is that anyone else, that would have been treason. But she has Maylees, and she's married to the sea snake. So <laughs> she, she gets, gets special, special treatment. Yeah, she just gets special treatment. Every, any, if that was just Lord Keltigar who refused to take a knee, they would have probably fed him to a dragon. But she has Maylees. So they're just like, well, we'll let her take her time. We've heard, <laughs> because we, we really need Maylees. We, we, we've discussed Targaryen exceptionalism. This is just Rainey's exceptionalism right here. Uh, Rainey's and, and I ride very big, fast dragon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, qu- question before we leave this scene. Cause I, th- th- this is something that we've been hearing about online. A friend of ours even sent us a Cosmo article, which is the first time I've read Cosmo in years, on the subject of, is the sheer number of birthing scenes and deaths and violence associated with birth gotten excessive on the show? So we've gotten about four or five over the course of this first season. Has it gotten too much for you? Why do you think they've included so much? I'm curious to hear your thoughts. Well, first off, when I got the Cosmo link, I sort of like, fit, I, I pressed the wrong, th- I, I clicked ahead. I got 15 ways to please your man with a candle. I don't know. It's just a different Cosmo <laughs> article. But then I normal. did get back to the, the one that he sent me. Uh, yeah, so here's my here's the what here's my thoughts on this. Is that it if you I'm sitting down with Ryan Condo at the beginning of this and he's he's writing, he's sketching season one out. I would have told him the most important birthing scene that we get in all of season one would be Renera giving birth to stillborn Visenya. Because that happened, we can infer, because of her anger, her frustration, her sorrow over the crowning of Aegon. It's the death of a child of her and Damon. So it affects Damon, it affects their relationship. And it also is this super dramatic two or three day period where she's in labor, she's screaming, Damon refuses to go upstairs to her, everybody's hearing it, everybody knows what's going on. And and the leadership of Team Black is sort of in flux. So I would have told Ryan, that's the most important birthing scene, right? But what happened is they spent a lot of time in viewer capital on two other birthing scenes before we ever got to this one. Mm-hmm. So I think people were sort of like, why on earth are we getting more of this? Like I'm over the birthing scenes. And it's like, no, 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 folks. Like <laughs> this is the important this one. This is the one that like, really matters. <laughs> this is the really important one. I'm not saying the other two weren't important. Obviously the one with Emma Aaron was important in episode one, but like this is the one I would have said, devote your energy and time to. So my problem isn't with this scene. It's the, with the fact that they gave so much time to the previous two scenes would be how I would put it. How about you? 
I think it's a great way of putting it because I, I feel like this is in the same category as the prophecy of where it's obviously important and it's obviously keeping with the themes of the overall show. We had, you know, season one, episode one, Emma Aaron say that, you know, this is our battlefield. This is what the realm expects of us. This is our violence. This is the duty and the cross that we have to bear. That's a theme they want to keep going and they want to keep going the threat that women are always under and, you know, risk of death that they're always going under based on other people's desire for legacy and other people's dreams that are being forced upon them. That is a repeated theme of the show that all the female characters are going through. I understand, and I'm with it. But by doing it so many times and making it so so bloody and gory and violent and gratuitous and whatever else, you're diluting it. You're losing it. You're making it seem like it's more for shock value rather than keeping of your overall philosophy of what women are going through in this world and show. And like you said, I think it's a great point to emphasize is that by having it happen so many times before this... Everyone's already just, you know, assigned it to a category rather than treating it on its own individual merits. And that's diluting what you're accomplishing by having this happen so many times. So I think it's a successful enough, you know, extended motif over the course of the overall first season. I think it works. I think it's an you know, important thing to bring up. I think they've just in some ways been uh, hurting themselves with their own success by how rending these scenes are. Yeah, well, and then there's also the fact that, like, and I, I think... It's not worth ignoring that there is a high likelihood that the show is saying, no, you men audience need to see this. Right. I think there may be a part of that going on. Sure. I'm not, ups- I'm not upset with that. Like if that is, that's the artistic choice, which is I want to show how gratuitous and difficult and painful, et cetera, et cetera. Child labor can be for certain women. I'm not upset with that decision. I think that that is just. Uh, an ex- explanation about the motivation about why we get so much of it basically I, I, that, that, that's perfectly in keeping it's just one of the things of where now that we've seen the violence so many times you don't have to show it every time you can use it as implied and we're going to be agree. able to fill in the gaps every single time of ourselves I thought the most effective moments of this scene were not you know Rhaenyra pulling the baby out of herself, you know, rending as that was, but was just in the throne room hearing Rhaenyra scream as the whole room ignores her. I think that in many ways is emphasizing the philosophy you're going for and the, you know, things you want the people to think about even more effectively than seeing the blood and the visceral and everything else. For sure. I agree with all that. I, I, I would have probably cut the second birthing scene, the one that she did uh, for, I think it was that, Joff. Oh, yeah, Sure. Uh, that and then Harwin comes in and the whole thing. I don't think you need that one. I think the first one with Emma and then the last one with Renera work. I think if you cut the second one, maybe we're not having the conversation. And Bela, we've talked about that, whether that works or not. It's subject to ongoing debate in the fandom. Yeah. So cut to the table being lighted with candles under it. Spencer, who I did? Who, what the hell? <laughs> Nobody knew. Like Tyrion never pieced it together that you could light the table. What the uh, hell, Tyrion? At this point, is this a feature that broke later? Like, basically, just using an old computer that no longer, that, you know, Microsoft Excel just doesn't work on it anymore, and you know they just kept it going. Because man, this is a feature I would have loved to have had before. Because this is awesome. It's an LED table in a medieval setting. You can. It seems like it's perfectly in keeping with you know Aegon's philosophy too. Because you better believe that guy was up there at all hours, staring at that table and plotting his conquest. For sure. Queen Rhaenyra walks into the room. She's Queen Rhaenyra now. She's got the she got the cap on. She got the hat on, Spencer. Mm-hmm. And um, she walks into the room. She's announced by I believe it's Damon who announced her, right? Or is it Damon or one of the guards? It's Damon. He says, "Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen, first of her name, Queen of the Andals and Rhaenar, and the first men, Lady of the Seven Kingdoms and Protector of the Realm." So interesting here. Uh, 
book to show change that I can talk about now because it's not spoilery in the mm-hmm. in the book. She is Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen, first of her name, Queen of the Andals and Runner and the First Men, Lady of the Seven Kingdoms, period. Protector of the realm is Damon. They basically have this sort of like he carves up she carves out like twenty five percent of her title for him to do. And he's basically head of all war, et cetera, et cetera. They're not going mm-hmm. that route in the show. Uh, all power centralized with her in the show. Which honestly creates a certain degree of tension, though. They haven't more clearly clarified who, what, his, what his role is going to be with respect to uh, her rule hereafter. It, it's it, one of the things that drives the confrontation between the two of them later. Damon says, your grace, as she walks in the room. She goes to walk again, but the men follow her. And she's like, hey, hey that, that's enough. Stop it. They, they, they haven't quite worked this out yet. They're still working on the on the back and forth with the guards. They're, this is their first time through it. <laughs> Then Reyna, I really, I really actually appreciate that little detail. But there's still some growing pains here. The training wheels aren't fully off yet about the process of queening. Yeah, I mean, they, like her guards don't have the rhythm of what she wants them to do yet, and that's okay. just that's common, right? Then Reyna gives her some wine. Some might say it's a Negroni Spagliato with Prosecco in it. Some might say that that's the drink <laughs> that she got. Canon, canon. No further debate needed. Yes, that's the drink. I think that's maybe what she got, and then. She, uh, Rhaenyra asks Reyna and then Bela to join her. Bela, who is better grandmother's side, gives a look to her grandmother. Grandmother kind of like, yeah, go ahead. And then Reyna and Bela go to join the war council. She walks up to the table and Damon starts. She says, well, let me, what are, what's our standing? Like basically what's, uh, what, what do we, we got? got here? What's our resources? She says, he says 30 knights, a hundred crossbowmen, three, 300 men in arms. Spencer, you've read every bit of a song of ice and fire literature you could possibly get your hands on multiple times you've poured over the wars and the numbers mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. what does 30 knights 100 crossbowmen and 300 men in arm get you in a war in westeros uh, enough to defend dragonstone and not much else being like you know famously aegon the conqueror invaded the seven kingdoms with like 3000 to 5000 guys and everyone just kind of laughed at that even though he had dragons she's got even a fraction of those numbers as david says Dragonstone's easy to defend. You know, it's a full island, but even with these guys, we can certainly hold the castle. But for any other purpose other than that, this isn't going to get you far. Even if you can use your dragons to take things, you don't even have the troops to garrison them after you take them, meaning everybody can just swoop in afterwards. So she's starting low when it comes to war resources here. Yeah, I think it's shockingly low, really, um, to even be talking about a war. I mean, basically 400... 30 knights and 400 soldiers it's it's like nothing damon then says he sent word to his loyal men in the city watch he knows some of them will come but he's not sure about the numbers that seems like an abundantly honest line where yeah. he's like hey look i know some of them are still loyal to me but i haven't been there in years so i don't know the number that's a great thing to point out i love that damon's account of what their odds are and what their advantages are what the resources are has not an element of bullshit in it this no. guy is just spitting straight facts about what everybody needs to understand about where what the playing field is. What's he doing, Spencer? He's spitting straight facts about spitting what Spitting straight facts. Look at Spencer. I like it. Man, you're I'm... good. You've been sending sassy gifs lately too. This is awesome. Uh her master then tells her our maester then tells her that she's already has uh declarations of support from Spencer's favorite Spencer's favorite house, Keltigar and Staunton, Massey, Tarklin, and Baramon. That probably accounts for the 300 men at arms altogether. That's probably and Keltigar! Right. Yes, sir. Uh, Rhaenyra points out her mother was an Aaron, so she thinks the veil will not turn against their own kin. Eh, they're, they're kind of leaving out the whole data point. Nobody mentions it here about... Damon. Damon did murder a member of House Royce, and he totally didn't inherit her lands because House Aaron looked at this and said, you totally member- murdered your wife, a member of House Royce, one of the most powerful of the you know Lord's Paramount in the Vale." 
No one's bringing up that detail now. We'll see if it's relevant later. They do have this problem ongoing, right? It's like, hey, we want the Aaron support. It's like, yeah, but Damon killed the Lady Aaron. And it's like, Renair's like, but we, but wait, hold on. But okay, fine. But we'll get the Valerian support. Yeah, but you did kind of kill the Valerian boy. It's like, damn it, we killed too many people. But don't worry. We'll have the Baratheon support. No question. Not going to be an issue at all. There's a lot of assumption going into a lot of decisions they're making. And it's realistically flawed. We know, like, the heads of the families of these three families, the Aarons, the Starks, and the Baratheons at this time, we also know sort of how those families roll historically. So I'm going to go through this scene, and I want you to be in the War Council for Rhaenyra. I want you to tell us which which of those three houses are likely to support Rhaenyra, and what would be a good approach in those three. I think that would be a fun exercise. Yep, so, yep, yep. Um, he points out, he already, the, the maester points out that uh, River Run was a close friend of Viserys. And he points out um, he's already sent uh, ravens to Lord Grover Tully. So this is like River Run, which isn't really a kingdom. It's sort of like a little bit. Uh, it's, it was, it was it's, where the, it's where the twins is. It's south of the north, but it's what the north has to get through in order to get to the south. Everybody has to get through. So it's the it is the central heart point of all of Westeros. It is the realm that everybody marched with their armies through through thousands of years. And until the Targaryens showed up, it was essentially the Iron Isles of suburbia because they just ruled that too. She then says that Lord Grover is fickle and easily swayed. This is Rhaenyra. She says he will need to be convinced of the strength of their position and that they will support him should the war come. So basically, like, yeah, he'll support me if he knows that I'll take his back if dragons come, basically. Damon then says he's going. Spencer, he's going. He's not asking. He's going to treat with Lord Grover himself. They, Rhaenyra and Damon stare at each other around the table as others continue to talk. What mm-hmm. if Storm's in and Winterfell? Someone chimes in with the wonderful line, potential line of the episode. There has never lived a Stark who forgot an oath. nothing else needs nothing else needs to be said i mean their assessment of the tellies i think it's almost like they're talking more about the phrase than the tellies but you know fair enough the riverlands are in a horrendously divided area trying to get even all the river lords to agree on the same point is difficult god help you if you need the blackwoods and the brackens to agree on anything at all so i don't know the tellies don't have a real strong history of being having a big spine i mean i know we got that with the the blackfish and with catlin but with with there was a, there's been too. a number of there's been a number of tully lords that have been crazy well, for sure and I, I think what she's really kind of saying here here is and i think this is how damon interprets it i don't know if that, what she's saying is we need to indicate that lord tully that we support him so he can be reassured that it's safe to back us so his own lords don't turn on him what damon interprets that to mean is we need to wave the flag around over his head so we can remind him that we've got dragons that A, means we can support him, but B, means we also can incinerate him and we'll get him in our camp. They're certainly assessing the Tellies as being people that can be easily swayed by means of you know, threats or reminders or promises. Whether that is accurate or not, as you said, it has varied over time, but they at least don't have the best reputation for it. The Starks, on the other hand, the, the Maester didn't need to say anything else. That one sentence should just reassure you that Stark's always going to have your back. So we've got... Uh, we've got... Cregan Stark, who's young, father mm-hmm. just died. Cregan Stark came to power uh, at a very young age, had an uncle that was his regent. Um, his regent. And he, the uncle, when he got, a, when Cregan Stark got of age, the uncle still wanted to rule. Cregan eventually had <laughs> Cregan enough of that, that, threw him in the damn cells, dealt with that rebellion. Then we have Storm's Inn, which is run by the Baratheons and Boros Baratheon, which we see later in this episode. And then we have the Vale of Aaron, which is Lady Aaron. Lady Jane. 
Lady Jane Eyre and Spencer, you are now around the war council of our queen, Rhaenyra Targaryen. You bit the knee earlier. You swore the oath. Mm-hmm. How would you mm-hmm. counsel her to win these three families over? Okay. Uh, I think, the, honestly, the read on the tellies is reasonable. If you can indicate some measure of being able to actually protect and support them from everyone else invading them forever, that's how you get the tellies on your side. So reasonable enough call. I'm kind of with Damon that waving the flag around could be useful, but they ultimately kind of agree that waving the flag around is probably a useful thing for all of these houses. House Stark don't have to offer them much. Just, you know, offer a certain measure of respect, treat them on equal terms, remind... Don't, don't necessarily have to remind them of their oaths. Just remind them that you're there and value their support, and they're there to back you. Maybe offer them a princess or two. You know, these things are appreciated, but, you know, we'll see. Uh, Baratheons? Don't come in empty-handed. Could have advised Rhaenyra on that from the start. You gotta bring a gift. Gotta bring something to let them know numismatically that they are respected in some shape or form. Otherwise, they're not going to treat well. Uh, and as for Lady Aaron, uh, if you could bring somebody that's really good at oral sex, uh, Mushroom will think oh, that that will very, much, into that will very much be there to back and support. Mushroom you know, is your, such a slanderer of, well, of Jane Aaron. Tell me, tell the crowd what Mushroom says that Lady Aaron wants to ensure her loyalty to Rhaenyra's cause. Well, what Mushroom says in the book is that Jace gets to the Vale of Aaron, and she says uh, that if he can... Um, I'm not, I, you know, Spencer, you know, I don't work blue. You're going to have to say it. If he will go down on her and bring her to orgasm by means of oral, you know, fixation, uh, she will consider offering her support to Rhaenyra's cause. Yeah, which is, that's just, that's mushroom being mushroom. That, that I, I, don't, mushroom I honestly don't believe most, that one. <laughs> that is mushroom at his most mushroom. It always just tickled me. It's like, and they just made that shit straight up. Yeah, that uh, doesn't, I mean, like Jane Aaron did, did keep. Uh, men in waiting. She did have affairs. She wasn't married at this point, so she did have affairs with other men, but I don't, I think this is insane. Um, yeah, I, I, I like your read on these three people. I don't think it's going to take much with Lady Aaron. I don't think it's going to take much with the Starks. I think I would have always been scared about the Baratheons, and I, I would have probably counseled Rhaenyra to not use the word remind to anyone. Mm mm. And any, if you're asking for help, right? If you're going, if you're going to bully, bully somebody, Go bully them and you can use the word remind. But remind is a bullying word. Like, don't use that word if you're genuinely asking for help or you want a partnership with one of these lords. Yeah, honestly, of all of them, the easiest ones to market to, I think, are probably the Aarons and uh, the Starks. Because the Starks are, you know, they're they're an honor-bound people. You've got that in your favor. The Aarons also have the advantage of they don't need protection as much. You can offer them little tokens of protections. You can, you know, fly a baby dragon around in the air over there. And they'll find that enough. Because they are so well insulated from the rest of the Seven Kingdoms behind, you know, the the the, the gates of the moon and bloody all the gates. rest you have to get through them. The bloody gates. Um, so th- th- it, it's very hard to invade the Vale. So they're not worried as much about protection in the same way that the Tullys are. They're also not as Boros Baratheon-y in terms of, you know, demanding favors because they're so utterly proud and want those kind of little boons. But... It's one of those things of where I think even if they didn't know Boris Baratheon was going to want you to do something, and so they should have been more polite in terms of going into whatever else, he's the one you absolutely have to get. Control the Stormlands, you control King's Landing. That's just kind of how that goes. They're the most po- they're the most powerful force that's within a couple days' march from King's Landing. If they are on your side and they're willing to commit resources, you've got a massive edge in terms of being able to take and hold the capital. So they should have gone there with their best resources and their best diplomat, whatever else, because that's the one that really gives them negotiating power. 
But they don't because they wrongfully assume they already got that one in the bag. Yeah, it seems like she just doesn't know Lord Boris at all. She just doesn't. She's never met him. Never met him. Doesn't know anything about him apparently because uh, he's got King Bobby B written all over him. First off, it doesn't seem like he can read. Um, (laughs) He did. Bobby B could read. Don't you disparage our favorite king? Bellows in the same way. B does not in my hall. Does that? He just seems. Yeah, but I don't think she really knows him very well. So I think all that counsel that you provided there is is. I think that's spot on. Where would you have sent Damon anywhere? Because I might have sent him to to Storm's End. I might have sent him to go treat with the Baratheons because that that's the high, other than sending Rhaenyra herself. That's the highest level of respect you can give the man. You're also like, if you are worried that you might run across one of the other dragons, right? Because King's Landing is right there. You might run across some problems. You're sending your best dragon rider, your best fighter. I don't know. I might I might have sent him to Storm's End. I probably actually would have sent him to the Riverlands because I think he can be useful in that regard. As much as it would be a different strategy than Rhaenyra's trying to market, I think Damon's bit of an iron fist could be useful in getting the Riverlords in line, or at least indicating that I am the martial side of Rhaenyra's forces. I'll be the one to here protect you. I think that's a marketing pitch. If Rhaenyra physically felt up to it, which is a problem because she doesn't really right now, I would have had her go personally to the Stormlands. I think that's the one that she herself needs to commit to and make work. And I think I think her going that have been a terrible time. fucking idea, Spencer. It, <laughs> Queen, it, it would, Queen would have fucking died. What is wrong with you? I, I don't know. Aemon <laughs> would have done that. I don't know that Aemon would have done is, that. But Aemon is not in control. Like we, <laughs> now, we'll, get there. I, I we'll think, get there. We're jumping ahead. I think if she goes to Stormlands with a full royal party and honors and treats with Lord, with with, with uh, Lord Baratheon in that particular manner. That's how she actually gets this over the You can't believe you're sending line. her to her death. You're sending Rhaenyra to an angry Vagar in the middle of a storm. As our Unbelievable. Friends have, you as are our, a green. As our friends have always suspected, I am actually secretly a green agent. You're, you're, you know what you are? You're Machiavelli writing the prince right now and sending This is true. I am trying to undermine the, the, the <laughs> I am trying to undermine the new royal, royal family of Florence right here. Rhaenyra says that Boris must needs to be, quote, reminded of his father's promises. Note it's Rhaenyra who's pushing the word reminder in the reminder yes. thing. And as soon as she says it, the whole room gets quiet and all, everybody looks down. Yeah. I think that that was an indication that some people disagreed with that approach, right? Then she says that there's um, uh, so there's an uncomfortable silence, right? And then finally, Stefan darkly puts a, a marker on Winterfell. Jace puts a marker, I think, on Storm's Inn, but it's like... It's kind of west of Storm's End, up near the Crownlands, maybe? So oh. it's kind of a weird place to put a marker, I felt like. I wanted to say, like, Jace, through the Valerian lessons and the sword fighting, did you get geography? I'm not quite sure where you're putting that marker. <laughs> it wasn't clear. Were there three different markers or two different markers? Because it looked like some of them looked much more nondescript than the other ones. We saw one that was clearly Hightower, which I love that apparently they had these commissioned in the day that they've had notice to have little Hightower logos to put out there on the map. They got their own Davos Seaworth in the back, just carving them up. Oh, gotta love our Davos Seaworths that we have around these islands. There's always been a Davos here. Uh, she then asked for news from Driftmark. Rainy says that Lord Corliss set sail for Dragonstone. Shout out! My God, mm-hmm. Corliss is feeling better. He's going to sail to Dragonstone. Love it. Absolutely love to see it. Damon says to declare for his queen. Rainy says the Valerian feet, fleet is in her husband's yokes, and he will decide where they sail. So basically what she's saying is, don't have an answer for you. When he gets here, he'll decide. And I love how Rhaenyra responds to that. She does exactly what you talked about, about don't use, you know, entitled words. Don't use words about, you know, remind them of their duties, whatever else. She immediately goes to, 
We pray for both you and your husband's support. As we have prayed nightly for the sea snakes return to good health. There is no port in the narrow sea that would dare make an enemy of the Valerian fleet. It's like, yeah, that that is the thing that you say to a lord when you're asking them for a favor right now. She's got the marketing pitch down in person. Again, she should be going to all of these places. Threats of you sold me. Yeah, you sold me because now I can hear her saying to Lord Boris, like, no one would dare stand against King's Landing. Mm-hmm. You know, if if they if they weren't if they didn't have your support, you know, everyone knows that King's Land was so goes House Baratheon, so goes King's Landing. I mean, she could do the same exact thing, and Boris would have probably been receptive to that. She also can market Joffrey to one of his daughters right then and there, because that if she reads that that's one. Yeah, Baratheon Luke. Wants, what the hell? Luke forgot he you, had a brother. You got a younger brother. He's not there. It's to tough. With him. It's tough. Luke was He's in a tough over position. his head. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna criticize him, but yeah. he did forget about his brother for a second. <laughs> he, he forgot about three. Brothers. Brothers. He's got a lot of people he'd sell that. Oh, they offered you one? I can offer you two. Maybe even a three if you're nice. It did seem that that flattery, like, while not working 100%, seemed to work a little bit with Rainey's. I mean, Rainey's did seem... She didn't, like, give the huge smile, but she was like, okay, that, that was good. Basically, that was good, Renee. Well, in many ways, throughout all this, and we see this more clearly in their scene with Corliss, she's testing Rhaenyra to see whether Rhaenyra is somebody that she wants to follow. And so seeing how Rhaenyra acts in this throne room is giving her massive brownie points later with Rainey's to decide who she's going to you know, talk to her husband about who they need to back. So it also that, really serves her well. It serves her so well that Damon's there because it's such a hard contrast for Rainey's to see Yeah, because like Damon's playing bad cop the whole time for Rainey's right. Rainey's is like, wow, look, she's, she's kind of bucking him when she, in a second, she's she got will, room. she's got strength. She's got her own, you know, yeah, temperament. all that stuff. Rainey's loves it. Right. So she, Rhaenyra turns back. Rhaenyra asks about their enemies. Damon says, well, the Lannisters are definitely an enemy. Fuck the Lannisters. Hate the Lannisters. Don't like the Lannisters. Mm. She says without the Lannisters, they aren't like to find any allies west of the golden tooth. And she kind of says it like, convince, tell me I'm wrong. And Damon just goes, yeah. nope, yeah, we won't. And it, Everyone at the table knows that's pretty serious because it's basically like she'll have no allies in the entire western part of Westeros. Like all of the west, basically, she, is what they're saying. She, she's essentially betting that the Reach is screwed and the western ones are just gone. So two of two that's of the a, seven component kingdoms are and, just out. And Dorn probably isn't going to support you. So like, like yeah. a whole lot of Westeros is completely off the table from Jump. So the people who are in play, you have to nail down. Now, the one they don't mention, and I think it's fair that nobody mentions them because nobody ever knows what the hell they're going to do. Nobody says what we're going to do with the Iron Isles. Nobody even mentions it. A, because it would be way too long to even get there reasonably from Dragonstone. But also point B, Iron Isles do what Iron Isles do. You can't be sure on that point. Do you remember what Iron Isles did in the book? No, now, now I'm confusing it with Robert's Rebellion in, uh, in terms of where, what they backed there and what they did later. So, Renera goes... They Rhaenyra both... Sends an, Otto, I remember Rhaenyra. Otto sent an envoy to them, and I don't even think they responded to him. So, both send an envoy. They don't respond to Otto. They they give, like, a non-committal answer to Renera, something kind of like, yeah, like, we'll support totally. you. Totally, yeah, you're But great. anyway, they don't... They end up not sending a single person, a single bow. All they do is just reeve on the Constantly. coast. When all the men are at war. So all the men who leave and go at war, they just reeve and like take over their homes and homes and have sex with their wives and like they just do Iron Isles shit. So they, it's <sighs> so in keeping with the fucking Iron Isles. Aegon, you had an opportunity. You could have just utterly burnt those isles off the face of the world. Why didn't they you, suck. sir? They really do suck. Don't we hate Pike? We don't like Pike at all. Um, the list of characters we like that are from the Iron Isles, you can count on one hand. <laughs> 
Damon then says the Riverlands are essential. So that's kind of what I was saying. Like you have so much that's off the board before you even start the conversation that the people in play really have to kneel down. So in comes your guy, Baltimore, uh, Bart, Bartimore Keltigar, who says that talk of men is moot. Talk of men is moot. You have dragons, for Christ's sake. He starts out to say the greens have – she says, well, the greens have dragons too. And then Jamin, Damon jumps in with the count. So basically, Keltigar, he starts this conversation and he gets the fuck out of the way. And then Renera and Damon start to argue about dragons, right? So Damon says the greens have three grown dragons. We have Cyrax, Caraxes, Melees. When he says Melees, Rainies gives a, excuse me look. Like, what was did, that? Did we discuss that term? I didn't think I was there for that conversation. But I'll tell you this about Rainies. I don't think she likes Damon at all. I don't. I don't think she likes Damon at all. Not willing to buck him right here, though. She just gives a look. Like, she doesn't jump it. Like, I, I do think that there's a part of her that knows how wild Damon is. And she's like, I'm not going to just tell him fuck you to his face. Like, I may not fly out to battle with him, but, like, I'm just going to, like, hang back while he makes this assumption. Right. Mm-hmm. And then he says, um, your sons have Vermax, Rx, and Tyraxes. Tyraxes is Joff is riding Tyraxes. Like, I can't believe he's even counting that. Like, Joff is so small. Can technically fly. That's about the only criteria he's assessing here. And hey, this dragon will be committed in very short order as part of negotiations with other houses. It's wild that he throws that in the count. And then he says, uh, Bela has Moon Dancer. Moon Dancer is also pretty small. Uh, Rhaenyra, because Moon Dancer was born in the cradle with Bela. Uh, it's it's about the same size as uh, Vermax and Arax at this point. Right. But I consider those small dragons. Sure. Um, Rhaenyra is starting to get irritated and calls him Damon. She says, Damon, none of our dragons have been to war. Point so, of order. Not true. So, so Caraxes has obviously been to war. M- Melis think, also has two. Not on the what, show is shown as much, war? but it, it, it not, it's not said on the show, but in, in the book, in the books, it's explicitly said that she's, you know, fought in many battles before. So I'm presuming against what the Dornish. Battles? I'm presuming either against the Dornish because Rhaena was not, Rhaenys was not the first writer of Melis. Or also, it's also possible that she contributed in terms of the War of the Stepstones at various points, too, which I'd find perfectly believable. But another thing hasn't. The, another thing from the... I, so I'm, I'm a little skeptical about Melee's having fought, fought many battles and, of and significance. Cra- Caraxes but, also fought against the Jornish, too. So you've got experience beyond even just simply the the Stepstones there, too. Right. So Caraxes definitely has. But I think she's, when she's saying our, I think she's talking about not Damon's dragon. She's talking about the her sons and her, basically, is sure. what she's talking about. Very fair. Um one other thing, one other Melee's point from the books is that in the books, it's talked about constantly that Melee's has grown very lazy, lazy very Still lazy. Fast. Still fast. Went around. And it's but. only, oh, Rainey's can spur her to action, but like Melee's isn't really excited to do much. Um but. So he then says they're also the unclaimed dragons. Sea Smoke is still on Driftmark. Vermithor and Silverwing, which we established, we talked about in the recap pod. These are Ancient, buddies. This is Prince Jaehaerys and the good Queen Alicent's two dragons. Alice they same. bonded. Uh, Alisane's, uh, yeah, well, thank, I mean, I appreciate that you corrected me there because you did, uh, you I, did I give, wrong every damn time her, I said that. No, you gave her a promotion in the recap podcast to co-ruler with Jaharis, which I thought was very True, interesting. Perfectly fair. Yeah. Personal <laughs> so theory. Undisputable. Fermathor and Silverwing, who are buddies, they're there on Dragonstone on the Dragon Mount, still riderless. Then they have the three wild dragons. Spencer, what's, who is one of the three wild dragons? Couldn't they just say it? Couldn't they just name them, please? I mean, one of them is Sheep Stealer. Oh, another, that's the one? <laughs> another, another one's also Grey Ghost. 
And, and you know, there's the also the cannibal, the cannibal, please give me the cannibal. <laughs> so it's very unclear. Every time we're talking about like dragon sizes, there are some people who say that cannibal's bigger than Balerion. And there's some people that say cannibal's a regular sized dragon. Some people say that cannibal uh, was there before the Valerians got there, before the land, uh, the Targaryens got there. Some people who say cannon, wild hatchling dragon who just happened to be out there. But either it, way, it, it, he does eat. Very, one thing we do know is he eats other dragons. Eats other dragons and. Regardless of how old you want to say he is, he is the largest of the wild dragons. It is a very big dragon. We're talking sure. appro- approaching like Vermithor proportions, regardless of whose account you want to say. But I think realistically, we could say he's about Vermithor size. I think that would be fair. Big damn powerful dragon, one that everybody knows not to mess with. So, I mean, Damon's summary here is that we've got seven claimed and six other potential. We got thirteen potential dragons we can bring to bear. We got a to lot of resources. Fort. Fascinating that they say four, because this does confirm that Darian and Tessarian have not been written out. Which, yep. you and I were debating that endlessly. The show said, totally, yeah, we're keeping them in. We just, have, for some reason, never mentioned them. But this is the first explicit mention that they also have a fourth, not adult, juvenile, but still fourth dragon. Why on earth they've never previously said that Darian exists is an interesting decision for philosophers to debate given that they're going to have him just show up in the next season. But this is explicitly saying that Allison's youngest child is also in the picture. I hate that I have to explain this on a podcast. I should have explained it in the show. But Darren is um, Viserys and Allison's youngest son. Mm -hmm. And right now he's at Old Town learning. Uh, He's basically at university, basically. Yeah, he's getting some getting some Meister training, learning under Otto's older brother. That 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 is where Darian is, and he's he's got Tessarian with him. It's like they would not have taken much for them to just say that at some point. It's going to be so jarring next season when this just other son of Allison shows up. So many people are going to think that he's a bastard child or something. They'll explain it, I'm sure. Uh, Damon also says he has eggs incubating in the Dragon Mount, so hopefully they'll have a few more dragons here soon. But Renera's confused about his count because she's like, "What?" But the, you're saying thirteen to four, but like a lot of those aren't writer are, are writerless. Who who are we saying is going to ride these dragons? Like, what are you talking about, David? Basically, he says they need a place to gather if they find it, a little centralized place near King's Landing to gather. If they you do that, they could use it to cut off the West from coming east to King's Landing, and they could surround King's Landing with the dragons that they have. And his quote, they said. He said that they could have every green head mounted on spikes before the fucking moon turns. Spencer, if they did that, if they did exactly what Damon wants, they take their 300 men or whatever, they do a choke point there in the West. They try to to block off uh, the Lannister army from moving West very fast. And they use their dragons to surround King's Landing. Obviously, Aegon and his dragon are going to jump up in the sky. Obviously, Aemon and Vagar are going to jump up in the sky. How many dragons do you think Team Black would lose in that? Like, this is what Damon is confused. He's so confusing to me because it's like, you might be able to do that. Yes, you're right. But you might die. The queen might die. The heir might die. Like, you're going to lose a lot of dragons trying to get Vagar dead. So, like, what is the point? I mean, Damon's basic plan is, is that our best chance of ending the war fast is to do a Hail Mary. And it's not even a Hail Mary. A lot of this makes a certain degree of sense. Let's be fair about Damon's plan here. It's not like it couldn't work. This very much could work. This is a, He has actually thought this out, and though it's risky, though it will cost whatever else, its hope is to end the war in a fortnight rather than end the war in four years. 
Now, my problem is that you I'll are only... having to put the queen and the heir and the, yeah. king, the you're queen's consort in this. immediate danger to do this. This is the kind of plan of where this either works out beautifully and they win or they all die. That's the only options here. This is a plan that is inevitably putting your immediate family under risk of life and limb. And it's only going to work if you get all of the most experienced Dragon's Drive Riders together to team up on Vagar. So it's got to work out perfectly. It's got to have a certain measure of risk. It's going to rely on a certain degree of surprise not for the Greens not being expecting for them to, to make this kind of a risky of a, you know, Damon aggressive maneuver, which is so in keeping with Damon. And it could work, but it's only way that can make it possible is if they risk every single member of their family dying to bring it about. And that's just not a hand that Rhaenyra is willing to play at this stage. Yeah, I don't know. Like, it just seems like in order to kill Vagar, you are going to have to use your biggest dragons. Like, Teamed best up. case best case scenario, maybe Maylees and Rainies dies because, like, worst case scenario is the queen's dead and Damon's dead, and, and who, then who's going to rule? So it just, yeah. I don't know. It just doesn't. The, the it sounds good on paper, but then when you start talking about what you're actually going to lose and who you're losing as a dragon rider, it, it, I think it's a little too costly. So Eric comes up and says that a single ship has been sighted. It's one galley. So it's one galley with a banner of a three-headed dragon. So this is some. Uh, this is a show change. We have a new sigil for new sigil for Aegon, which is a three-headed dragon on a green banner. Yeah, and, uh, and it's. I think they even explicitly said it was a green dragon. It's not even gold on green. So I think that's not even in keeping with the books too. They've given this guy a green dragon to work with. Yeah, there's gonna be a lot of a lot of t-shirts printed up about that. We're gonna see that at the con for sure. A lot of a lot of the the new Aegon banner. Then we this see Damon. Is what we hoped for the Twitter wars involving different colors. Oh, it's happening! It's so fun! It's so awesome! Then we see Damon and Otto facing off at the same place they faced off in episode two. Perfect parallel to episode two. When Otto shows up, he's trying to get the dragon egg from Damon, who has retreated there with the knight, uh, with the city watch and Masaria. And in episode two. Rhaenyra comes flying in and she's there to help Otto. She's mm-hmm. there to get the night, the, the egg away from Damon. Perfect parallel here where Damon and Otto meet on the bridge. Otto says, I got terms, but the terms are only for the queen or for the princess. He doesn't say queen. The princess, who, where's the princess? And then she comes flying in. But the difference this time is that she walks over to Damon's side. So she's there with Damon now this time. Yeah, some people were saying online that Cyrax wasn't big enough here. I thought Cyrax was bigger than the last time we'd seen it. So, you know, I'm, I think that's being nitpicky at best. I but never, I, got, so I, I, sometimes I feel like I'm taking crazy pills when I'm talking to some fans because I have fans telling me that like, oh, well, Cyrax could take Vagar. And I'm like, Cyrax is not known. Cyrax has never been in battle. <laughs> It's known to be a fairly, it's known to be a fairly lazy dragon and it's not very big. It's not bigger than Caraxes. It's not bigger than Melee's. Like it's one of the, it's not, it's a full grown dragon, but it's one of the smaller full grown dragons they have. So I thought the size was perfect, which shows that, 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 that indicate that like, I love how they're doing the dragons because it's like, yeah, go send that against Vagar. Good luck. Have a good, go have a good time, Damon. Go, go, go send her, go go send her against, uh, uh, Cyrex can be vicious. Cyrex can be very loyal. Cyrex can rip into somebody when Cyrex deems it's appropriate. But in terms of temperament, Cyrex comes across as being more like a, you know, a well-pampered house cat compared to a, a, you know, a, a array of warrior dragons that are around her. Um, and it's but, so much smaller than Vagar. Okay. But in terms of the scene, I love how much this scene is both in parallel and not, like you were saying, to the scene we got back in episode two of the confrontation on the same bridge, 
The, the, the respective sides are arrayed in the same way. Swords drawn at the same moments. Rhaenyra and her dragon landing in the same place. But as you say, Rhaenyra is now in some ways taking a different faction. She still intervenes to save Otto's life, which I'm sure Otto is betting on here. Um, but I, I like Yeah, because if, if she's the not piece. there, he, it's funny that he asks for her. Because if she's not there, he doesn't I'm walk fucked. away. Damon will kill him. Yeah, like, for sure. Remember, remember that, you know, Damon threat that you'll die screaming that he gave to his own Kingsguard? What kind of death has he given Otto if Otto gets within his possession without Rhaenyra to stop him? He talks about what he's going to do to him here in this conversation. Yes, he does. Um, yeah. One thing that I thought was low key kind of funny is how Otto sells out what's real, the politics of the Greens in the conversation. Cause he starts out by going, I'm here because of the Dowager Queen. I'm here because of Allison. And then yeah. he says, I'm bringing terms when he has to read the official thing. He says, I'm bringing terms from the king who, in his wisdom and desire for peace, is offering these terms, et cetera, et cetera. But he sells out the fact that it's not Aegon's terms to begin with. It's Alicent's terms. It's interesting enough that Alicent trusted him enough to send him for this. I mean, it's Otto, and he's the senior diplomat. He's the hand of the king, so it makes sense for him to go. Who else would she send, right? Well, she just said last episode she didn't trust him, that our hearts have never been joined. And she's effectively, from her perspective, having to browbeat him into extending these terms. Now, in, at least in the book, she isn't. He knows that these terms are in there, you know, make a lot of sense to try to avoid war, too. They're not going to do the, you know, the Kingsguard, SEAL Team 6 assault on the on Dragonstone. But it, given that she explicitly said she didn't trust him and felt that, she was, that he was manipulating her for years, it's interesting that she then defaults to sending him to do this. Like you and I just said, I don't know who else that she could send. But it's still a bit of a, a bit of a weird kind of ask, given that you explicitly said you don't trust him anymore. She only got two feet, Spencer. She can only show Larry's two feet. Oh, she, God. she had three or four feet. Stop she it. might be able Stop to get it. Larry's Stop over it. there. We she don't... only got two. That, that was a weird <laughs> offside movie directed by Quentin Tarantino. It's not canon, for sure. Canon. Uh, so then we have the terms, and these are very similar, if not exactly the Almost same terms that you word. read from the books. Uh, so Rhaenyra would have to, what she has to do is acknowledge Aegon as king, swear obeisance to the Iron Throne. In return, Rhaenyra keeps Dragonstone. Upon her death, it will pass to her true-born son, Jaceres. Notice that they, they, basically what they're saying in this is, we'll stop all the questioning about your children's legitimacy if you accept these terms. Lucerys will be confirmed as the legitimate, another keyword, legitimate heir to Driftmark and all the lands and holdings of House Valerion, which I thought Viserys did two episodes ago. For the second time, but I guess we're still now questioning if fucking Lucerius is the heir to Driftmark. It's insane. We're, um, we're cha- there's new presidents, sir. We're changing policy on Cuba. This, this is basically what they're th- saying they can do here. Unbelievable. Sons of Damon will have places at court. Aegon the Younger will be the king's squire, and Viserys will be his cupbearer. Everyone who conspired with her will receive a pardon. So those are the terms. Damon offers a very concise, uh, I would say, politically savvy answer which is i would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper cunt of a king which you know point across you know just I'll, yeah he's a diplomat he's obviously. a wordsmith wordsmith just you're not wasting a single word in terms of how he wants to answer this question that's my favorite fucking line of the episode can we break this down i would rather feed my sons to the dragons Great start. Then have them carry shields and cups. So then he dismisses the whole concept that like being yeah. a squire and being a whatever Useless, is pointless. anything. Yeah. For your drunken usurper con of a king. <laughs> it, it's just when Damon speaks, there's just there's nothing else to book about interpreting it. The man has said what the man said and no Wonderful. one else can just, you know, have a different read on what his intent was. 
I think that lights a fire under Otto because then he's, he starts to give the sort of proof, you know, the geometric well, proof. Like, well, let, let me explain me, to you how I got to this calculation. Aegon sits here. the Iron Throne. He wears Bam. the Conqueror's crown. Bam. He wields um, the Conqueror's sword. He bears yeah. the Conqueror's name. He was anointed by the Sept in front of thousands. Every symbol of legitimacy belongs to him. And in You're third in this is great. he doing has great. a penis. He's male. He's also yes. inferring that. Uh, great start. Great start. Starts to go downhill a little bit from here. And then... Stark, Tully Baratheon, all those houses. And she's like, uh-oh. He uh, says, have received or are considering generous terms. And she's like, oh, 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 oh. There's still hope. He's like, it's, it starts out when so he says the name. He goes, says the names before that. He says yeah. the names before considering. And she's like, oh, uh, what? It's like all of the senior executives of the company, I have sent emails. It's like, oh, Okay. I'm doing that too, but okay. Points for you. Rhaenyra points out, but I would say that he tells her here that they have sent already terms to House Baratheon. He does explicitly say that. He tells her that. She should have taken notice of that and thought, oh, well, when I send someone to House Baratheon, the they will be comparing it to generous terms from the king. I probably shouldn't send, hey, let me remind you of your oath. Like she what? got the information right there. I think that's at least in part why she sends her son, because she's assuming accurately, because Otto did also send this, that they just sent a raven. And so it's like, okay, okay. They sent a raven. But I'm he said send generous a... terms. Yeah. But she's at least conveying the terms by means of a personal acolyte of her family, which gives a certain extra measure of respect. Again, totally. She should have actually offered some shit from what she's hearing and what she should know about Lord Boris. Hell, she should have been having a leg, a, you know, a, a ground game going for years before she ever reached this point. But, you know, she is Viserys' daughter. She works when there's when it's time to work and not before Spencer, that. I love that you've come over to the team and you're team black the way that you are. I really enjoy this. But she's wrong here because she gets she she's told explicitly she from Otto that generous terms have been offered to the Baratheon. She, she knows we've just sat here and more. you and I, two bozos on the bus, were able to figure out by looking at a map just how important the the, the crown lands are. Storm uh, lands I mean the, the storm lands too. are. How important uh, Storm's in is if you're going to try to keep King's Landing or take King's Landing. You and I both know this, so obviously she knows this. If she was going to give any sort of generous terms to anyone, it should have been Baratheon based on what she's already heard. But she assumes way too much. Mm -hmm. She's too proud and she's too reliant, by the way, on 20-year-old Oath and a dead man, her, that guy's father, Boris's father. And she literally sends him a note that says, let me remind you of your oath. Like, it's a complete misstep and miscalculation from our girl, Rhaenyra. I just thought of somebody else that she could have sent, too, if she'd be willing. Rainey's is the one with the family connections to House Baratheon. Rainey's could have sold that shit. And she would have also been willing to negotiate terms right then and there to make it work. So that's another alternative for a very useful diplomat she could have sent to the Baratheons. That's a great point. Because she, she would have come back and she'd have been like, well, uh, yeah, we got him. Uh, so... I'm marrying your son to do, 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 and I'm doing this with Damon and I'm about it. Like she'd have already just yeah. negotiated that. Also trade, trade deal. And uh, also the new, I'm changing the new official language in Westeros, but you know, we'll get, we'll get to that here in a minute. I feel like sending Luke was a concession to Jake's idea. Jace's idea. Cause Jace had this idea and she's like, sure. I'm sending this one. But it brother, was not the best idea. And, and she, she just got, she Otto Otto told her too much. Otto said, here's the, like Otto was trying to scare her. 
But yeah, but here's the thing though. It's a tactical, it's a tactical mistake because if he didn't have those houses already shored up, he shouldn't have tipped his hand that that's who he's talking to. Right. Mm-hmm. Like I'm in negotiation, like, Hey, I'm in negotiations with so-and-so to be my partner on this bid for a contract. It's like, Oh, well, guess who I'm going to go talk to the fucking guy that you're trying to sub to. Like it's, it, he made a mistake there. She didn't capitalize on it. Everybody's fucking up. Is well, what I'm saying. If, if anything, he could, have just, he, he could have just said the information that she already knew. She could have said the entire Western half of the continent is already sworn to my banners. And negotiations are already in place to secure that would have the sounded rest better. of the realm. Yeah. She, start with what she already got and then frame it in. I'm already two steps ahead of you in terms of making this happen. Not just I've sent letters to this guy, this guy, and this guy. But yeah. just the realm itself is ready to bend the knee to our cause. And you haven't even started on your first play yet. Rhaenyra says all those houses are sworn to her. Otto moves toward her, which is a mistake. And he says stale oaths will not put you on the Iron Throne, Princess. Potential line of the episode. Good line. The succession changed the day your father sired a son. It might have. I only regret that you and he were the last to see the truth of it. Rhaenyra is now pissed. And she walks up to him, snatches the hand of the kingpin off his shirt, throws it in the water, and says, you are no more hand than Aegon is king. Fucking traitor. Whoa! Great line. Great moment. Where is this Rhaenyra? Where is this Rhaenyra all episode? This is the Rhaenyra I want. <laughs> this is your book, Rhaenyra, coming briefly to the fore. Fucking fort. traitor. <laughs> uh, one thing I also find interesting here is that... I'm curious to what degree is this just Otto knowing that it's bullshit, or is this the fact that the writers in the writing room may not be communicating with each other episode to episode, but he doesn't even try to say that Viserys changed his mind. Doesn't even try to offer it to him. That's a big data point they're using for the marketing to everybody else, but when it comes to Rhaenyra and Damon, yeah, either A, knows it will never land, B, knows that it's bullshit, or C, they're, they're trying to struggle with the fact he doesn't deliver those terms, or no one delivers those terms in the book. But he doesn't even mention the idea that the queen herself heard from the king on his deathbed that he was disinheriting you and picking Aegon instead. Likely just because I, I think the most logical reason is because he knows it would just piss him off. Because he knows it's, they wouldn't it, tr- give him any weight. No, no. This is, you know what this is? This is me going to you and being like, Spencer, I think it's, I think it's time to stop with the work for the night. Like, you're just going to be like, okay, we'll just fuck off. Like, that's not, that, yeah. like, just don't even listen to me. Like, I've got that, six we, more hours. Don't worry. It's only, it's, it'll, I'll be I've, done so, I've told, by the way, I've, I've, I've told you that before. I'm like, hey man, like maybe you're like, ah, ah, enough of that. Like that's, it's that, that, that sort of thing. Like he knows that that is not going. Pointless. Pointless. Beyond pointless. It, 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 to your point, it might even make him angry. Right. Yeah. Um, Otto Orwell. has one last trick to pull though. Otto calls for the Grain Maester Orwell. I like that Orwell is there because in the books, it's Orwell who comes. It's not which, Otto, right? Which was gutsy on Orwell's part in the books because he, he's the one that agrees in terms and it doesn't go well for him. Renera took the chain and put it on somebody else. Orwell walks up, hands him something. Damon in the background says, fuck is this? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Love that line. It's the page that she tore out of the book and gave to Allison about uh, Nymeria and the 100,000 ships or whatever. Uh, from episode one, I believe. Yes, it was. Queen Alicent has not forgotten the love you once had for each other. He says that she he awaits uh, that he and the queen await Rhaenyra's answer. Damon, uh, she can have her answer now. Shoved in her, <laughs> shoved in the face, uh, uh, shoved in the face of her father, along with his withered cock. Let let us in this mummer's farce. I can't even get his lines out. They're so okay. good. I, I, I love the, the the addition even after that. Sir Eric, bring me the Lord, bring me Lord Hightower, so I may take the pleasure myself. This guy is raring for a fight. He's been on a leash the entire episode, and it is ready to snap. Yeah, he pulls out his sword. But what's yeah. interesting? 
another another moment of giving us the dragon and the dragon rider bonding is everybody pulls the swords out and when they pull the swords out cyrax starts raising hell oh, yeah. and i honestly believe that they were about half seconds 60 to 90 seconds maybe from cyrax starting to burn people if they kept moving and like being sort of uncontrolled As we uh, saw because later, i don't think without command yeah. maybe even because she stuck like because i because if you notice I think Rhaenyra is not happy with Damon's approach here, right? Mm-hmm. I think that's that's clear. But what draws what what gets a no out of her mouth is looking at Cyrax and seeing how angry Cyrax is, because yeah. that's what gets the swords back into sheaths and gets Cyrax calmed down. Very much so, yes. Because I don't, I think the last thing she wants is for her dragon to burn up every single one of them. I don't think that's just going to help trying to get peace in the realm. I, I think that's a bad look. That is not Rhaenyra's objective here, and it's an interesting thing of where I saw some people online saying that. Um, since this message here at the end lands the hardest, maybe they should have actually sent the queen to deliver the message. I think that would have been really foolish. I think that would have been way too risky. I don't think any scenario by which that would have happened. But what do you I'm think? I'm doing of that? a I'm doing a tug of war. I would I, I would take her captive immediately. She, she's such immediately. a hostage. If you, if you Absolutely. do that, it's like you're giving me the dowager queen. I'll take. Thank her. you. I'll take yep. this now. Yeah, it's like I'm. You know what I'm going to do, Spencer? When we start playing chess, we did Queen. We we reviewed Queen's Gambit. We're a we couple did. of chess professionals. Uh, I'm just, I'm going to start the match just so it's fair. I'll trade you my queen for a pawn, and then we'll just keep going. Okay, Thank like that's you. what that Appreciate move would be. It. Yeah. it's so stupid. Like, yeah, that would be a terrible move. Uh, I think that was a bad suggestion from folks because I think even Rhaenyra would have to point out that yeah, we're probably going to have to take her captive. But burning them all would be a really bad look because it would also be a bad like. Even if Rhaenyra ends up winning, everybody is, throughout well, the, the Seven Kingdoms is going to tell that story that she just burned everybody Under up. Peace the second banner. they tried to, yeah, they, the second they tried to give her terms, so she would never be really respected. I think as a queen, or at least a kind queen. Mm-hmm. Um, so now we're back at the War Council, and Damon says it's hard for men to kill dragons. Thanks, Damon. Fair. But dragons can kill dragons shockingly and, easily, and as have. it turns out. The, the the really only about one time in the past for Westeros has there actually been like a straight up dragon fight between Targaryens that resulted in a dragon's death. Wasn't that Magor who did that? Uh, that was Magor riding Balerion. Yeah, that just utterly ripped apart a smaller dragon during a brief rebellion against his rule. Yeah, that was Magor. Um, God, Magor was the worst, wasn't he? Uh, he did things. Um. Renera says Viserys often spoke of the Valerian histories. This is kind of cutting Damon cool. off. Yeah, killed. She says killed, when. He, sorry, he killed Prince Aegon on Quicksilver. I just googled it to make sure. There you go. Uh, oh yes, Quicksilver. That's right. Yep, got got tore up by Valerian. She says when dragons flew to war, everything burned. We've seen this in the main series. This is that we need no proof of concept here. We already yeah. got it. We got three seasons of it right toward the end of the Game of Thrones series. Renera, potential line of the episode, Spencer. I do not wish to rule over a kingdom of ash and bone. Your guy, who you ride with, Lord Baltimore Keltigar, Keltigar, ask her if she's considering the king's terms. And she asks him, well, as queen, what is my duty, Lord Keltigar, to ensure peace or make sure I sit the Iron Throne no matter the cost? Damon, your father disgusted, talking. disgusted with her, says that's your father talking. She says, my father's dead, but she, he named me heir so I can defend the realm, not cast it headlong into war. Damon says, well, the enemy has declared war. What are you going to do about it? Step one, clear the room because I've got a subordinate that's questioning me in front of others. Yep. She says, clear the room. And as she says that, it appeared to me, and I think 
the, everyone there that she was about to hand Damon his lunch. And I think that's why Rainey's is smiling at her. Rainey's she's like, is smiling up a storm here. Rainey's smile has been getting larger as the episode's been going on. This is Rainey's at near peak smile right now. Because she thinks, tell me if I'm wrong here, but I think she thinks that she's about to give Damon the business, right? She's, yeah, she's going to whip him like a, like, 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 a, um, like a disobedient dog right now. But that's not what happens, obviously. Um, <laughs> so when they're alone, Rhaenyra asks him, does war, just, do you just love war? Are you just like in it for war? Is that what's going on with you, dude? You war heavy? And he says, <laughs> she says, uh, he says, you cannot bend the knee to the high towers. They stole your birthright. She says, if you take, how about this, Damon? Let me ask you a question. She did that move like I do with you all the time. Hey, Spencer, how about this? Let me ask you a question. Yep, yep, here. If you could take the Iron Throne without putting Otto Hightower's head on a spike, would you? Damon does not answer, answer the question because it's no. <laughs> the answer is no. He needs that sweetener regardless of terms. Like, you know, someone could offer him to be emperor of the entire world right now, and he wouldn't take it unless he can get Otto Hightower's head at this point. And I understand that there's like a large segment of the fandom that is just never going to like Rhaenyra. But if you can't see growth in this next, next exchange, I don't know what the fuck to tell you. Because he says, are you not angry? And she says, so I should declare war because I'm angry? How different is that from the Renera we saw, you know, episodes and episodes ago? I mean, that she truly is being the most, like, it, it's not a particularly high bar, but she is being the most level-headed person on her war council, for sure. She's trying to carry forth her father's legacy. She's, I mean, Damon just mocked her for it to a certain degree, but she really is trying to, you know, recognize that being peaceful, that finding a way to avoid just crisis to the realm is part of her job, if she can make it happen, to the degree that it's possible, is debatable here, and... Damon brings up some useful points here about these guys are in open rebellion against your rule. To a certain degree, that actually has to be responded to with fire and sword. But she's hopeful. Viserys the peaceful. Yeah. That's who she's thinking about. Yeah, it's a good, yeah, Spencer's uh, got the next line here because he says, no, you should, should declare war because it's your duty to crush, your duty as queen to crush rebellion. And she says, you know, my oath reaches beyond my personal ambitions. Come on, you know, like secret handshake shit, right? Yeah, Song of Ice and Fire. So secret handshake. I love that it's being used secret handshake here, but we were both heirs. So clearly, you know that we have duties that outstrip the immediate concerns of the realm. We have to keep things united together. Otherwise, big things can happen. And she is, has never entertained the thought that Damon doesn't know about this. Yep. Uh, you know what this is? This is like the Cleveland 2016 team, right? Cleveland Cavaliers. You've lost me already. Go on. So LeBron very famously had a secret handshake with everybody on a team mm-hmm. until he got to Kevin Love, who happened to be a tall white guy, but whatever. He, it, 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 the optics were pretty funny. It just was. And they just shook hands because he didn't have a secret handshake with him. So it's this is Renero with like the, we got a secret handshake, right? And then Kevin Love extending the hand like, I don't have one. That's mm-hmm. what this is. Um, so very funny. Uh, he says, um, my brother, so she says, um, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like the war against the North, the coming enemy, the conqueror's dream. And she says, Viserys, uh, told me when he named me heir, all this stuff, right? Like, you know, that, and then he and just starts how strangling does her. Damon react? Yes. He's like, he starts strangling her. Now I got the impression. Now let's talk about the strangling. So he, um, that's a sentence we right can there. make. We could uh we could make some excuses here for Damon, right? Like he has just lost a brother. He's just lost a child. He's we, upset about the prophecy. But here's the thing. We can explain there is it. Absolute... We're not making excuses. We're not making excuses. We can explain what why things are happening. 
Yeah, I'm getting there, right? I'm saying he, you can, you can make excuses if you want to, uh, for all of this, all of this stuff. He's got all of this big grab bag of excuses if you want to make them. What I'm sure. telling you is that none of that is okay to choke some, like choke your wife, right? Like, so, um, I'm not going to be like a Damon apologist on this podcast. Like, I think that I can laugh at Damon. I can root for Damon, but like, he's kind of fucked up. And he is absolutely an abusive person and he's abusing Renera here. Right. And yeah. like a lot of people are like, wait a second, she's queen. Why doesn't she just tell him? Da, 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 da? Well, because folks like people fundamentally, as you get older, you realize this, like, or at least I did. I shouldn't say you, I did mm-hmm. people, how they operate, say in their job or with their friends or in public can be fundamentally different than the dynamic they have in their marriage. Right. Sure. Absolutely. And we see that all the time. And the show is kind of exploring that concept that Renera can be this like to, to her, her kids, even this episode say she looks perfect, right? To people uh, on her war council, to others, she's the queen, she's tough, she's this, she's that. But in her marriage, she's still the, she's still the ne- the niece, right? He's still yes. the older uncle who knows more than she does. And she has to take second seat to him. That power dynamic has not shifted yet in that, in that marriage. Right. And I just think yeah. it's an interesting concept. So like, don't get, don't get thing. Don't get it twisted that somebody just cause they act this way at their job is necessarily has that same dynamic in their marriage. Cause they don't. Right. It's not. So I'm moral. My story here, and I'll pass it off to you is that yeah. absolutely unexcusable behavior by Damon. However, I think it is absolutely in keeping with the Damon character. Uh, he did kill his first wife. Uh, let's remember that data reminder. point. Uh, and he, uh, as you established early on, which I pushed back on, but now I'm fully embracing. He, ha- he seems to enjoy violence. I'm not surprised that he's somewhat physically abusive to Renera. Your thoughts. Yeah. It's an important reminder that we like Damon's a character that is compelling that people I'll say like in the sense that they want to see more of him. Let's not forget that the guy's a villain. Please, let's not forget that. He's complex. He's multifaceted. He's got, you know, things about him that are, you know, very pet the dog kind of moments. But the guy's a shade of, like, in the sense of a white versus black character, a shade of black character. And I think it's important to be reminded of that every time. Where Damon's reaction when he doesn't know how to emotionally process something is violence. It's what Damon does. Remember what he did when that messenger just conveyed a message that his brother was coming to help him? He damn near beat that guy to death and then suicidally charged into battle. Because that's how Damon responds to these kind of things that just cause Damon to go on tilt. Yes, Damon would choke his wife. He's already murdered one. He would happily murder another. Probably not Rhaenyra. But if it wasn't Rhaenyra, sure, de- definitely. And what really sets him off here isn't, is, as you said, the combination of it's whatever else, but what pointedly is the moment-to-moment what is said that starts this off is just further indication that he's a second son. Further indication that even his beloved brother, that he w- stood in support of and put the crown back on his head of on the, in the two episodes ago, never viewed him as a legitimate heir. Never viewed him as worthy of this. Never respected him in that way. This is what drives him over the edge because it's throughout everything. It's what always drives Damon to the most violence and rage and violent reaction or whatever else. It's the ultimate chip on his shoulder. So I saw a lot of people online saying, oh my God, that's horrible writing. Damon would never do that. He loves Rhaenyra. It's like, yes, he does love Rhaenyra. He also would totally do this. Yeah. My question to them is, do you think that men only beat women they don't love? Do you think like, do you think that, cause that's not true. Like there, there men who do love women still beat those women. 
Um, so it's not, you can't, you can't just say, oh, that guy loves that woman. Therefore he'd never do it. I don't think you can ever say that. Like, um, yeah, that, that dynamic is, it's not like two separate Venn diagrams. I, I don't know. I think it's absolutely in keeping with David. I also, um, you know, on the idea like, oh, she's the, the powerful queen, etc. How could mm-hmm. she be abused? It's like very powerful women get abused in their marriages like that. You know, it's not isolated. It's not isolated to just women without jobs or something. Right. Like, I mean, this happens like, and I kind of like that. I don't, I mean, I like this happening, but I like their exploring. You you adore it. Yes. Go on. No, well, actually I adore looking at stillborn uh, children. Sorry. I I like the close-ups on the the pregnancy stuff. I'm I'm actually one of those people that are into the the multiple birthing scenes. that, That room that you have of nothing but pictures on the walls, you know, that was a very interesting, you know, Home decor choice. So back to the recap. Oh, do you got any more? <laughs> One last thing on this. I do love how the two actors acted. Cause my interpretation of this was both of them are shocked that he did this. Both yep. of them seem caught off guard this happened, which implies that whatever violence he's directed against the world, whatever threats, whatever rage, whatever feeling of being under danger that Damon instills in those around them, it hadn't really before this moment been specifically directed at Rhaenyra. And both of them in this moment don't know how to take what just happened. So I think it's in some ways also about why doesn't she punish him? They're both caught off guard that this happened. They're having to process this. Also, practically speaking, she needs him, which not in the twisted romantic, you know, abusive partner sense, but in the military, like general sense, like he leads he's my a, He's army. a useful tool. Yeah. And he's got a big ass fucking dragon who could fight. Um, <laughs> So he says, my brother was a slave to his omens and potence, anything to make his feckless reign appear to have purpose. So he's mad at Viserys now, obviously. Yeah. He's, he's dismissing his dream. Uh, uh, he's dismissing his Viserys' the reign. The was denied him. And then he says, dreams didn't make us kings, dragons did. It's interesting that that line, which we've gotten so many times in all the promotional material, is actually being said as he's abusing his wife. Like, we all, like, have loved <laughs> that line. They're like, what a great line. And it's like, oh, actually, he's choking Rhaenyra as he says it. There yes. you go, fandom. Mm-hmm. Ugh, what a letdown. He lets her go. She looks at him and she gets her breath back and he says, he never told you. And then she smirks at him and like, yeah. kind of like, huh, what Look the fuck? Look at that. <laughs> Off goes Damon. We're she, left with Rhaenyra watching him walk away. She affects, I mean, despite the fact she has got abused by her husband, she effectively ends the conversation in a stronger place of power because she's now always had this on Damon. It's something that he never had and he realizes that and he has nothing that he can ever do to fix it. I'm not sure she, like, he he needs to, like, never physically abuse her again. That's a big important thing. Uh, well, yeah. they're, they're, about, they're, they're both now pondering that question going forward. Yeah, like, I, I wouldn't necessarily say she leaves with more power after that. Like, because I think that, like, she probably is scared around him some now. Like, I think that's important to point out. Um, Possible, sure. Cut to Corliss. He appears to be sweating and he's in bed. But you know what? He's with us. Yes. Mm-hmm. See, Snake is back. I'm so happy to see this actor. Alive and conscious. Rainey's is next to him sleeping. He teases her saying, look, I've had men whipped for falling asleep on their post. She is not in the joking mood. She says, look, you abandoned me. And when I needed you most, I lost my children. And he goes, no, I, I, I didn't have anywhere else to go. This is the only thing that I know, basically, is what he's trying to convey to her. Like, I, this is all I had. I lost everything. And she says, we, Corliss, everything. we. We lost everything, which is a super important thing for him to hear because mm-hmm. he does. He is very. I think he's got a hell of an ego. I, I know I'm going out on a limb here, but I think the sea snake has a bit of an ego. Carlos, ego, justify yourself, sir. What evidence do you have to suggest that the sea snake 
has even a modicum of self-delusion attached to it. Uh, well, he goes on to explain it. Oh, uh, She sits next to him and starts cleaning his hands. She says, um, he says, I understand we have a new king. And she says, the, tr- the stranger cast a long shadow over our family. So she's not even talking about the king thing yet. She's still updating him on where we stand. She says, your brother's dead. Corliss about, tries to about jump out of bed, ready to kill somebody. And Rainey's goes, ah, in his haste to bury you, which is true, and claim your seat. I like that she throws that in because yeah. that that annoyed her, too, that Vayman was so ready to be like, ah, yeah, he's probably going to die. Yeah. He stood before the king and denounced Lenor's sons as illegitimate. Damon which, took his head for it. Corliss just deflates for that first part. It's like, oh, shit. And then he says, and Damon took his head for it. And he legitimately almost laughs, which we interpret on the recap as just being him just kind of going, well, yeah, that tracks. That 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 is how those events would go down. Yep. I don't have anything to add to that. I'm late to the game. And then he comes out with it. He says, heedless ambition has always been a Valerian weakness. He goes on to say that Rainey's was right. He reached too far and for nothing. His pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end. He's done with this. They're going to declare for no one. They're going to retire, go to high tide, collect their social security. Maybe, I don't know, travel to Florida every once in a while. Mm-hmm. Get a nice little timeshare for themselves. Tampa, lovely. Yeah, get a nice deck, you know. Get a good, good big deck you can sit on in the afternoon. Uh, Be content the- with their grandchildren. And it's so funny because this is this is exactly what happens in a lot of relationships, right? Yeah. It's like one person Too is Too late like, reaching the realization. He's like, please, please, please stop your heedless ambition. Stop caring about the Iron Throne. Please, please, please. Corliss doesn't listen. Finally, Corliss goes, you know what? I'm listening. She goes, hold up. Not now. <laughs> not in this exact when, moment, actually. When would, when, would, <laughs> when would have been the time? Six years ago when Lanor died? That would have been the moment to really, really make this now. work? Yeah. The, 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 what peace they could have had, but now it is out of their reach. Now we have to fight. Otherwise, we can't make that peace happen. Yeah, because she says, look, our, she she is now, so let me Team count Black. the ways in which I was wrong about Rainey's. She now is is considering Jace, Luke, and Joff, her grandchildren, because she says Jace, Luke, and Joff, because he he mentions, let's be go, let's go, go be content with our grandchildren. And she says, Jace, Luke, and Joff are all claimants to the throne, and they won't be safe as long as Aegon's king. So we can't go be content with our grandchildren, basically is what she's saying. Yeah. So she's calling them their legitimate grandchildren. So shout out to her for that. Corliss understands what she means and says, right, but... Rhaenyra was complicit in her son's death. The girl destroys everything she touches. Rhaenys jumps in and says, look, here's, here's, I got something for you. Potential line of the episode. That girl is holding the realm together at present. Every man, every man standing around that painted table urges her to plunge the realm into war. Rhaenyra is the only one who demonstrated restraint. It's interesting that he uses the word complicit here. It seems like he's assigning most of the blame to Damon in his Damon. mind about who was responsible yes. for it. It's also he knows Damon. It's also interesting that, that Rainey's doesn't tell him that, well, I saw some people online say, well, Rainey's should have told him that Rhaenyra denied this. I don't think Rainey's believes Rhaenyra when Rhaenyra told her that. So I don't see why she no, would repeat it. No, she doesn't it. at all. Not at all. No. Yeah. I don't see why she would repeat it. Corliss isn't going to believe it either. That she, Of course she denied it. She's been denying it, I'm sure, for the last six years. So cut to the war council. Some people are rambling on. Rhaenyra looks very bored. And is that the sea snakes music? It. It's from it's the on. back. Hold on. Is that that's the sea snake? Whoa. With an entrance with with Rainey's on his arm. The Lord of the Tides, Lord Corliss Valerian and his pro, and his wife, Princess Rainey's Targaryen. Corliss walks in on a cane, greets everybody, says, my lords. Rhaenyra says it brings her relief to see him healthy again. I love that she's like with Corliss. She's very like diplomatic by the same, book. Same as with Rainey's. Yeah, absolutely. She's good to see you healthy again. 
He says he's sorry about her father. He says Viserys is a good man. Everybody says that about Viserys. Good man. Good man. They don't go much farther than that, but they say good man. And, and, and I think that's, you know, there's a lot a lot you could say about him, but the guy was, everyone seemed to like him. I think it's a very fair read on it. After episode eight, I like him. He stands there and says, where is Damon? <laughs> Which a lot of people interpreted as he was going to like have a problem with Damon or something for killing his yeah, brother. I don't think that's question. the case. I think he where's, literally is just wondering where, where the hell he is. Where's the prince consort right now? And she says, well, he had other concerns that demanded his attention. And mm. Corlys just kind of looks at him and at her grunts. And I think he recognizes there might be some strife there between the two of them. He asks for her declared allies. Uh, or we ask if the table is set with her declared allies. And she says, yeah. And he says, well, that's too few to win a war. <laughs> um, eh, we're hoping on the Aarons, the Baratheons, and the Starks. Hope <laughs> is the fool's ally, says Corlys. Yeah. Rhaenyra says, uh, well, well, Aaron and well, Baratheon, they share blood with, with me. And uh, they all swore oaths. And Corlys points out, well, Lord House Hightower swore an oath, too. Rhaenyra, as did you, Lord Corlys. I like that she finds, she, she's on the back foot throughout most of this conversation, but that's a strong turn right there. That is a, absolutely, she's on the front foot because he says, yeah, well, the hot tower swore an oath. Basically, who gives a fuck about an oath? And she goes, well, I don't know. You did. Putting him back on his back foot. So he looks around at his grandchildren and he says, your father's realm was one of justice and honor. Our houses are bound by common blood, common cause. This high tower treason cannot stand. Beat, beat, beat. You have the full support of our fleet in the house, Your Grace. Woohoo! So this is the point when Renera figures out, like, okay, I think I can fight a war. I don't think that she's. I think she's going to accept the terms offered by Otto until this moment. I, I think she's at least having to consider it before this moment because she didn't. She had no other basis of support. She had nothing by which that she could fight a war without imminently risking all of her children as being frontline soldiers, and she's just not willing to do that yet. So now that she knows that the second most, arguably the second most powerful house in Westeros is now backing her with the resources necessary to basically dominate the coast of the entire eastern half of Westeros and cut off all trade, that's influence in terms of being able to make a bid to respond to the Greens with, hey, you, you sent me these terms? Let me return my counteroffer right now. Well, she doesn't even know how great this is, right? Because... Um... When he says this, she says, you honor me. And then she makes a point to turn around and look at Princess Rainey's and say, thank you. Basically, thank you, Princess Rainey's. Like she intuits that Rainey's probably had something to do with this. Right. And mm -hmm. she did. I mean, Corliss declared for Rhaenyra because of Rainey's and she thanks Rainey's for it. Right. Mm -hmm. She says, well, I made a promise to my father to hold the realm strong and united. I love this quote. If war's first stroke is to fall, it will not be by my hand. Corliss is like, what the fuck? You're not going to do anything? And she says, look, taking caution does not mean standing fast. It doesn't mean I'm not going to do anything. I just wish to know who my allies are before I send them to war, which is a fair point. Reasonable enough. I and mean, effectively, she is now, because the other side extended a peace branch, it gives her an opportunity to make use of the time before they make other, before they try to swing a sword. So she's going to put together what pieces that she has. And if she has enough... She sends an offer back to him and said, hey, guys, uh -huh. you didn't really consider all the things I got in my camp. How about we talk again? Corliss says the consequence of his near demise in the Stepstones is that they're now in control of them. What? Everybody like kind of turns. He says, and, and this time I fully garrison them. So mm -hmm. I have complete control over the Stepstones. And we can now have a blockade over those same shipping lanes I raised hell about every episode in the first five episodes of this season because they're so important to get trade to King's Landing. I now control them. We can now have a blockade to King's Landing. Shout out to me. I'm the best. See Snake out. That's what he said. Word for word. Can you believe that? 
I, it is almost exactly what he wrote down. Those are my notes. Pretty much even Sea Snake out there at the end. Well, 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 well recounted, sir. You do quotes well. Uh, it's an interesting addition from the books of where, you know, he's still got the fleet and everything else, but the idea that they're actually controlling the Stepstones and have garrisoned them and it's still under their command, man, that's putting them in a powerful position in terms of what comes next. It's way more than Rhaenyra. Rhaenyra thinks that you're getting the dragons and you're getting the ships. She has no idea that you get the Stepstones and you also get all of those shipping lanes, right? And he's basically like, what we're going to do is we're going to cut off all trade to King's Landing. And Rhaenys jumps right on that and says, you know what I'll do? I'll take Maelie's and I'll patrol the gullet myself. These guys making moves in favor of your banner right now. And I love the effect that this has on the room. I love that at once this is now in play, everyone starts chiming in, okay, this is what we need to do next, this is what we need to do next. There's hope. They actually have resources by which they either can wage a war if they need to, or at least be in a position to secure themselves going forward. Rhaenyra says, look, if we're going to have enough swords to surround King's Landing, she's not going to do it just in dragons, like Damon said, swords, then we need Winterfell, the North, Eerie, Vale of Aaron, and Storm's in, mm-hmm. the Baratheons. The Maester says he'll prepare the Ravens, but Jace, in his infinite wisdom, says that he and Luke should bear those messages. Let's be fair to the guy. He's not wrong that the message should be delivered by a dragon and by a family member. That's an important bit of pomp and circumstance to get the message across. It's just what the messages are conveying should have been a bit different. I'm not 100% sure it's smart to send a 13-year-old boy it's a as risk. your envoy. Well, well, no, no, I, sure. I'm not talking about just his physical safety, which is a, which is a thought. It's that when you go and you present terms, there's a chance that like people are going to want to negotiate with you, right? It's the same reason. Like how many times did they send Davos to do shit in the main series? Because they knew you send Davos to, you send Davos with the message because if somebody's got to start talking, you want somebody there who can actually negotiate. And Luke is not in a position to do that. I didn't think it was smart to send Luke anywhere for that reason, not just his physical safety. I think J- I, I'll agree on Luke. I think they should have, as we've discussed several times here, there's other people they could have sent to, to uh, Storm's End that would have been much more effective. Rainies, if you're worried about sending the Queen, I think could have conveyed this much more effectively. As for sending Jace to uh, the Vale of Aaron and Winterfell, I think that works out okay. I mean, A. I think it's fine. It, total bros potentially with Creek and Stark, which even Rhaenyra says is a possibility. It and happens. B, and it B, happens, I, I, th- I think I read somewhere that Jace is really good with that thing he does with his tongue. And Come heard, on now. I've heard Come that Lady on. Aaron just, you know, he's going to eat that up. Uh, oh, oh, unbelievable. Uh, yeah, I think, you know, in the book, I think that um, Jace is a year older than Luke. That's yeah. a that's a long year. Uh, that's a real long year because Jace seems to be about three grades higher than Luke. He's also been um, trained as the heir. He's been having to, you know, have the extra responsibility. Yeah, but he also looks clearly bigger. It's just, his dragon's bigger. It's just... Uh, we, we don't, I, I don't, we know. don't know what their age difference is on the show. I, I yeah, don't but, know what they're going for. I say all this to say you're right, that I think Jace is fine to send out. I just never thought it made sense to send Luke. And, you know, like, it ha- this this whole situation plays out where Boris doesn't like the message, starts to negotiate, and Luke can't do it. Right. Like, that's the problem. Their mistake here was they really wrongfully assumed that Luke going to Storm's End would be the easier and simpler trip. And they just read that. And that's a Rhaenyra problem. Rhaenyra assumed that. Very much a Rhaenyra error. So Corliss says he's right. They should go. Luke nods. Like Rhaenyra holds off until Luke nods his approval. And when Luke says yes, Rhaenyra says, okay, very well. He says Jace will go to the Aerie to see the Aarons and then to Winterfell see the Starks. Luke will go to Storm's End to see the Baratheons. She says they need to remind the lords. She keeps using that word, remind the lords of their oath they swore and the cost of breaking them. The cost of breaking them, but that might be an important thing 
to say to some houses that aren't quite as proud. I would say that maybe to the Tullys. I'm not sure I'd say that to the Baratheons or the Starks. I don't mm-hmm. think that's a good call. Um, cut to Rhaenyra. She tells Jace and Luke they are to go as messengers only, Spencer. No violence, no violence. She starts out by saying that if they are to serve the Seven Kingdoms, they must answer to their gods. So she makes them swear on a book. I think This is interesting. I think this is the Maiden's Book or the Seven-Pointed Star. It's one of the two. That's the mm-hmm. two main texts of the seven. I don't know which one she's using here. Probably the Seven-Pointed Star. My guess, yeah. Um, and she makes them swear like they're, you know, like like Spencer's ilk does. They make you put your hand on a Bible before you stand there and they ask you questions. You, you don't have to use a Bible in the courtroom anymore, at least in most states. But yeah, it's interesting she has them swear on the seven. This is the first time we've ever seen her actually make some sort of acknowledgement to the faith of the seven personally. Otherwise she, but she does, she's, she, but what's so interesting is she's admitting, children. she's admitting that she doesn't believe it. She's saying, but if we're going to serve them, we their have to gotta have this, we have to give the appearance that we, we worship their gods. Yeah. It's true though. She still explicitly says their gods, not mine, not ours, theirs, but you know, we got to keep the proles happy. Religion and religion and proles, they go hand in hand. She tells Jace that Cregan Stark is closer to his, his age than to hers. They could probably like have Rose. a kegger. Probably do a kegger, probably watch a couple football games, probably go hunting. Mm-hmm. I don't know, maybe mudding. You know about mudding in the yeah. South? You know about that, Spencer. I know mudding very well. Yeah, well also, maybe take a couple rolls in the snow. You know, there's a lot of things they can do together. And he tells Luke that he's going to go to Storm's End. Why, Spencer? Short flight, easy flight. I mean, there's no, I mean, obviously good weather all the way to Storm's End. Never been known for bad weather. It, it, and it, then this is a Charlotte to Asheville kind of flight. You don't even really need to take a flight, but you easy, know, if, you, if you want to. Easy easy peasy she also says look we got she earnestly tells him you've got baratheon blood from rainies your grandma yeah, yeah. she earnestly tells him in private this like renera the jig's up like what the fuck are you talking about <laughs> like what? why are you still pushing this shit yeah but as said it's just it just makes me laugh how earnest she is when she's telling Luke, like, your grandmother has Baratheon blood. Like, like, come on. The jig's up. Anyway, um, she says, Lord Boros is an exceptionally proud man. She must have heard this around the grapevine. He'll be honored to host a prince of the realm and his dragon. Mm, okay. Well, uh-huh. wait, wait, wait. She is 100% correct. Just not her son. She says, keywords here. I expect you will receive a very warm welcome. Uh, he well, says, yes, mother, uh, up, 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 your, your grace. He's still struggling with the your grace thing. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, she's right on every point. Just doesn't work out how she thinks it's going to. She then says, go to it. Mm-hmm. And off they go on their dragons. A lot of people had questions about why three dragons flew out. That third one is Rainey's on Maylee's going to uh, patrol the shipping lines, right? They mm-hmm. talked about earlier. So it was Luke and Jace on their dragons, Vermax and Arax, respectively. And then also... Uh, you had Maylees going off with Rainies. Indeed. And now, best of luck to them all. Varying, varying flights. I mean, in terms of varying flights, as said, Luke going to Storm's End, he could be back in like a day. Uh, meanwhile, Jace, Jace, best odds, is going to be gone for like weeks or a months. Month, a month it, or two. It's a while. This is a bit of a trip you're sending this guy on. Yeah. So what's interesting to me is the size of Luke's dragon. Because Luke's dragon to me seemed about the size of a pickup truck and a half. Yeah. I mean, it seems just about big enough to run Ford fly, F-150. And that's it. it is not very big at all. Um, cut to Damon. He's going to a cave. He's singing a song in Valerian. The Dragon Mount. 
Yeah, we do not get the um Yeah, so the dragon can you talk a little bit about the dragon mount there on on Dragonstone? Uh while while you google the translation that was poked up, posted on Reddit for his song. Yeah, I've got it. I had it right here, but now yeah, I'm pulling up. But yes, the dragon. Essentially, I don't know why are, you had to blow my spot. That was so smooth. I know. I'm here to mess you up. Uh, this is essentially uh, there are two places in the world where dragons are actually stored beyond the wild dragons that nest wherever the hell they want. You know, cannibals awesome. Uh, one place is in King's Landing. We've seen before. It's the Dragon Pits, where the coronation occurred. It's where most of the most of the dragons are kept, particularly when various dragon riders are visiting King's Landing. The other place, effectively the original Dragon Pit, is on Dragonstone. It's the volcano of Dragonstone. It's the Dragon Mount. It is semi-built in, semi-just a hollowed-out volcano where the dragons love to go when they want to feel warm and nest otherwise. And as we've heard, two of the most powerful and oldest dragons, neither of whom currently have riders, are nesting there. Vermithor and Silverwing, probably in the most adorable cuddle pile given what we know about them. And Damon, while singing a song in Old Valerian, is there to go say hi. Yeah, I mean, I think that the important thing to note is that it, it kind of, there's little, like, stalls for the dragons, right? There's little, like, caves that each one has mm-hmm. that's underground in the dragon mount. So he's got to go, like, underground, and then he's got to go, like, pitch black. face face up, pitch black, into, like, a, a stall that a dragon's sitting in. And, and, you know, the second biggest dragon in the realm, potentially, or third, whatever, behind... Um, Vagar. Uh, kind of Vagar, Vagar and the Cannibal. Mm-hmm. And then he sings a song. So I do actually have the lyrics to the song. That he's singing it in Valerian. We don't get actually on, we don't get any subtitles we for this. And most no. of the time when, most of the time in Valerian we get subtitles. But anyway, here's what it is. Ready? Mm-hmm. Fire breather, winged leader, but two heads to a third sing. From my voice, the fires have spoken and the prince has, the price has been paid with blood magic. With words of flame, with clear eyes, to bind the V, the, to bind the three, to you I sing. As one we gather, and with three heads, we shall fly as we were destined, beautifully, freely. This is a fascinating little song right here. It's interesting that Damon knows this. It's in keeping with the fact that, you know, as much as he made fun of his brother, he is much, as much as a nerd as his brother was. Yeah, his, his, his first wife was making fun of him for the same exact thing. Like, you're yeah. sitting up here, like, learning about all these old dragon lords. Who gives a shit? Uh, technically second wife, actually, for playing the home game. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's delightful that he knows these old songs and he's singing them. And it's uh, very much steeped in magic as if it is actually a ritual chant to get the, to help calm and bring the dragons under heel. Pointedly, though, the repeated of the three motif is so Targaryen. This feels like this is actually a Targaryen house song. Maybe even Aegon and Visenya and Rhaenys themselves came up with back during the time. Or as part of their legacy or whatever else. Because they're repeated motifs of the rest of the three dragons. The three of us will sing together. That's the logo of House Targaryen. We don't know that three is any, any of the particular iconography in the old an old ancient Valeria. This very much seems like it's steeped in their own family. Completely agree. Uh, so yeah, I don't know. I don't understand like necessarily what the lyrics are going for there. Um, but it's an old Valyrian song. And he is clearly trying to talk to Vermithor or check in with Vermithor or something. This is not Cannibal, by the way, because Cannibal wouldn't be in the Dragon Mount. Cannibal would be out like on a hill somewhere. Somewhere between, somewhere between Skagos and Dorne, just at various moments. Mostly. Cannibal uh, would be somewhere closer to where Damon picked up the Dragon Eggs. Very true. Vermithor is in a controlled place um, with its buddy. So Vermithor uh, doesn't seem particularly happy to see Damon at first. Like we've talked about before though. 
when Targaryens approach dragons that they are not bonded with, and the dragon doesn't like them, they don't roast them. He just shoots the fire above him as a sort of like, hey, fuck you. Threat but Damon, Damon holds the line. They lock eyes and they break away. My question for you, Spencer, let's speculate the fuck away. Like, what was he doing going to Vermithor? I'm so confused by this entire scene. I don't know. This almost seemed like a scene that they just made for the trailer because it's an awesome I mean, It's an awesome scene from a visual standpoint. Um, but in terms of what his actual objective is... Maybe we don't know how the dragon binding process works. Nobody does. The Targaryens barely even know how the process works. But maybe it's a multi-step operation that you have to have. You know, play these songs, sing these chants, practice this magic to start to calm them down, to get them close and comfortable with you, so that you then can establish them. You know, as a you know, have them as a dragon. Uh, but he's not going to mount Vermithor, but though. That's the issue: is that is he doing this for his daughter? Is he doing this for Rayla to basically clear the path for her to make it easier for her? Is that what he's going for? Is he testing and vetting whether these dragons have gone feral so he can see whether they can, you know, safely get somebody in to ride them? I don't know. I think there's a lot of different things we can speculate here. It seems like this is meant to be like a toe in the water of checking in, how you doing, just wanted to say hi. Been a few decades, wanted to see if you're cool. My guess is, if I did to guess based on like if i had a lot of faith in the show right <laughs> which yeah. i do yeah, yeah then yeah. i think then i think what he's doing is he's just making sure vermithor is okay because vermithor yeah. is such a large powerful dragon that if they can get that's the number one that's the number one goal is to get a rider for vermithor okay. because it's the only dragon that approaches the size of my home girl right if you can be at a world of where now they've got not only their seven sin to be six sorry luke um, but also have two very experienced, battle-hardened, old, massive dragons on their size. Is that a point where you actually recommend Damon's strategy if they've got, you know... If he the- had Vermithor and Caraxes riding at the same time, I would say, yeah, go, let's, 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 go, let's go take Vagar, and, for sure. And if you got Vermithor, you got Silverwing, too, most likely, too. So throw that into the mix as well. And hell, why right. not the Cannibal, too? Just bring all the big, big baddies down. King's Landing falls, Vagar dies, the realm is united under the Blacks. Right. Yeah. Vermithor is the real important one for I don't think they ever think they can tame cannibal. I'm not even sure why he said cannibal, but they Vermithor didn't. is one. Well, he he was included in cannibal was included in the number. So sure. he kind of did reference cannibal. And I don't know why he would do that because nobody's going to ride cannibal. Vermithor is has been ridden before by King Jaharis for a very long period of time. It would seem to me like a dragon that is approachable. So that's kind of what mm-hmm. I think he's doing. If I don't have faith in the show. If I think that they're going to go to easy way to just to show something cool, I would say that he's going to ride two dragons. And that would Bull piss me the fuck shit. off. That would Bull, piss me off, yes. Uh, no, just don't even think about it, show. Condal has too much respect for the source for people to do that Well, Condal listens to, to the show, so you, go ahead and talk to him. Tell him, okay. tell him you don't want this. Condal, it would be a bad idea. Not only just from a disrespecting the source material standpoint, but it would be dumb. If he's got two separate dragons that he like jumps between everybody else, like he's got a two like a, a two seat chariot that he's riding between, or no, just don't do that. You've got a whole cl- you've got a whole cast of interesting characters, including one other person that's uncommitted, and you know maybe there's some other people of Targaryen blood that are around Dragonstone. Who could say? Uh, bring them into bear. Don't just put all your weight on Damon. If anything else, it's disrespectful the fact that the, one of the best dragons you've introduced and made people interested in is Caraxes. Don't diminish Caraxes' involvement in the story. Completely agree. Um, having you know, like. We've talked before that I, nobody rides two dragons. Even Danny didn't ride two dragons. Yeah, she had she had in her possession two yep, dragons, right. but she never she never she never rode the other two. Um, 
she yeah, she had three. She never wrote the other two. So that just doesn't happen. Condal, we know you're not going to do that anyway, so it's not a big deal. So um, cut to Luke flying into Storm's End. Have to say, a little underwhelmed by Storm's End. Uh, I was excited to finally see Storm's End. Everybody who knows me knows I ride with House Baratheon. If I have a cho- choice among all the houses, I ride with House Baratheon. This was a little bit underwhelming, the scene for Storm's End. A lot of I, it was. I very much agree with you. I saw a lot of people on, on the internet liked it, saying, "Oh, it's so great to finally see him storms in." I'm like, "Yeah, it is great to see storms in." I didn't really see it like this, but you know, it is nice to see it. This, at least from the view we got, it did not strike me as this is a castle that is essentially erected as a giant middle finger to God. That is why storms in exists. Is you know, hey, I stole your daughter. Come bring it, bitch. That's what storms in stands for. Yeah, there's a I, I traveled to Senegal one time and there's this like westernmost point of Senegal that can like it's a point in the land and the tide actually hits each other. Uh, like the t- two tides hit, mm. hit the, the ocean tides hit each other at that point and it generates a lot of storms. Turbulent, right? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It creates a lot of problems. They they were telling the guide was telling me that's where all the hurricanes start that go and hit America. And I was like, I don't know about that. But anyway, it's, it does create a lot of storms. Right. And it, I was just uh, I, every time I think of storms and I think about that little part of Senegal that has that little point where it just generates tons of storms. It's always a pain in the butt. Right. Mm-hmm. And they build this massive castle on it. Why? Because they're Baratheons. That's the shit they do. It, I was a little it, underwhelmed, though. This is the swamp castle from Monty Python, the Holy Grail, where this thing fell down a lot of times before this one, though. This one stood up and stayed up. So Luke, gotta give Luke credit. He shows a steely spine here for a kid. He's yep. tough. Walking strong. He hangs in there. He lands with Ardax, and when he does, we see the guards looking. What gave it away is that the guards, guards were not looking, looking at Ardax. They were there. looking somewhere else, and it's like, a dragon just landed 50 feet from you. You're not looking at it? No. Why? Because a lizard there's landed. a jumbo a jet. There. <laughs> there's a jumbo jet in the distance and we see Vagar. This Beautiful is the shot. point. This is the point Luke needs to leave. I, the, Go back this, home and say, Mom, Eamon got there first. He was with Vagar. I didn't feel safe. I had to leave. Like, get the fuck out of there. But he's too tough for his own good. He sticks yeah. it out and he shouldn't have. He should have left. He's such a strong boy. So uh, he walks into the hall, he sees Boros, and it certainly doesn't seem like the friendly reception that Rhaenyra was expecting. He says he has a message from the queen. Everybody mm-hmm. kind of perks up at queen. And Boros, who doesn't seem super chill, says, well, that's interesting because just days earlier, I got a message from the king. Potential line of the episode. King or queen, which is it? The house of the dragon does not seem to know who rules it. Uh, one thing that really, I mean, among the list of things that should have told Luke that he needs to get the hell out of Dodge, beyond just simply the freaking kaiju that's nesting on the walls right now, which is said, beautiful shot in terms of just the sudden appearance out of the darkness of uh, Vagar in that regard. And by the way, Rx knows they need to leave because yeah, Rx starts freaking out at the sight of Vagar. Yeah. But, but his introduction should have told him that he was screwed here because his introduction is when they walk him in is Princess Lucerus Valerian. Son of Princess Renera Targaryen. It's like, warp, warp. Oh, I'll be leaving now. Okay, I've heard all I need to hear. I will be back with more dragons. What does he do though? He goes, "No, I have a message from the Queen." Like mm-hmm. he, you know, he's he's trying to hang in there, right? But it's a really bad idea. So Luke hands the scroll off to the knights who give it to Boros. Boros calls for the Maester. My question for you, Spencer: Boros Baratheon can't read, right? Boris Baratheon can't read. Now, this is not, not every Baratheon can't read. This is actually from the book where he had the Meister read it. It wasn't explicitly said that he couldn't read it, but. I know, but my question that, that I'm not, yeah, I'm not questioning if it's book canon. I'm saying 
why can't a lord in his capacity read? Like, it's, that is strange. Mi- from a medieval standpoint, it's not unheard of. There were plenty of lords. But in that this were world, straight- it is. It is rare. It is a statement about Boris Baratheon right now that his dad obviously could read. Many members yeah. of his family can read. Bobby Baratheon can read quite well. This Stannis, guy can't. quite a reader. Stannis was a quite a reader. Sent some mean letters, too, I gotta say, too. Don't say uh, was. My man is still alive. In one canon, he is. In the other, not so much. Um... But it is some, it's a data point we should remember here that Boris Baratheon among the Lords of the Realm, guys that it's part of their basic education have an obligation to read, can't. Now, in fairness, Jamie struggled with this. There could be a learning disability issue at play here as well. We don't know. But Lord, Lord Boris Baratheon is relying on those around him to get messages across. I think it's important to note because he probably has an inferiority complex because of it with other Lords. And I would, I would notice that. Play to it if I could, uh, and make sure that was what, in my toolbox with him. That, that's a that's a fun thing to point out because that may also be why uh, just the fact he received a mere message is something he deems even more offensive. Is that this isn't yep. a, this is literally not a language he speaks. Yeah, Luke won't say it. He hands him a letter he can't read, making him in front of everybody kind of admit. In front of the room. Yeah, exactly. Like it's an important thing to note, right? But again, this is the type of shit Davos would be all over. You send your best diplomat. You don't send a thirteen-year-old. Yeah, so, that man would have had a full card onions that he's bringing with him as just an original offering. Best onion soup in the realm. You know what Davos would have done? Yeah. He would have picked up, He'd have, like, I'm picking up my book now backwards. Yeah. Davos would have held that scroll up and be like, you know what? I can't fucking make heads or tails of this uh, myself. Yeah, Who I can got, fucking read? Who gives a shit? Like, I got the details fine. <laughs> he'd have lied about being able to read himself. <laughs> so, oh, man, Davos. Uh, Mister comes over and reads the scroll and recites it to Boris. Boris is not happy. Remind me of my father. So I've been telling you, even before I saw it, I just knew that word remind is not a good idea. Mm-hmm. And he says it dripping with anger. He says, at least Aegon came with an offer. His sword banners for a marriage pact. Boris asks, hey, if I do what your mother asks, which one of my daughters are you going to marry? This is where my guy Luke should have remembered he has a younger brother. He does not remember that. So he, he just says, I'm not available. That's all he says. And again, you could have marketed that so much better just in terms of circumstances that, you know, my Lord, I would be so honored, but I've already sworn an oath. However, there are many, there are many eligible bachelors in my family, and perhaps we can arrange a get together where you guys can come to Dragonstone and, you know, get to meet them in person, have a nice party, bring them the fuck into your control right now. And go from as there. tempting as it is. Now that I do see your beautiful daughters, I am unfortunately already committed to blah 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 blah. But I got a younger brother, and I can tell you right now, let's do this thing. Mm-hmm. Again, all of thirteen. He can't do any of it. And, and by the way, I don't hold this against Luke. We're just we're just brainstorming things he could have done, right? Yes. Um, so Boros gets mad. He says, "So you come with empty hands. Go home, pup. Tell your mother that the Lord of Storms End is not some dog that she can whistle up." at need to set against her foes. Now, again, we notice this is not a no. This is not this a This is no. just a, I don't like your, I don't like how you're approaching me right now. And, and, from, and, from, and from a Baratheon standpoint, though from anybody else, this would come across as very coarse, but for the Baratheons, this is almost it's a polite, right. this is almost a polite exit. This is absolutely something Stannis would say. Yes. hundred uh, percent. Luke says, I'll take the answer to the queen. Shout out to him for continuing to hit that queen. Still repping, still repping, still repping. He goes up to leave and then Eamon says, wait, uh-huh. my Lord strong. Oh, oh we're <laughs> starting hard. Right Eamon's now. the worst man. I fucking love Eamon. My Lord strong. Did you really think you could just fly about the realm trying to steal my brother's realm at no cost? 
Luke says, he came as a messenger, not a warrior. I will not fight you. And Amon's like, yeah, yeah, a little challenge a fight would be, hey, Amon, remember, could you remember that in about 15 minutes when you go trying to fight him? You just said it's not a challenge. Like, uh, you just Eric's said it. Eric's isn't there. Eric's didn't hear that. <sighs> Amon removes his eye patch and says he wants Luke to remove his eye as payment for his. And his eye socket is an emerald. Beautiful looking. I got to tell you, he should be thanking Proper Luke. sapphire. In he there. should be thanking Luke. He looks so badass with the emerald eye. Oh, it's awesome. Mm-hmm. Here, I honestly believe that Eamon's purpose here is he he doesn't want to kill Luke. He wants Luke to remove an eye. That's what he wants. Yeah. It's what he's been wanting probably yeah. for a very long time. So he throws a dagger and he says, one will serve. I will not blind you. I plan to make a gift of it to my mother. I'm sure Alice would love to see an eye. Yeah. <laughs> Bloody he really understands his mother well. What a yeah. weirdo. This, this, says, no. your, this is the equivalent of your cat bringing back a dead bird. Just like, I thought you wanted this. Come on, Amon. How many times we, how many times do I have to tell you I don't want body parts? Amon, stop bringing them to me. <laughs> oh man, they've had that conversation before. He says, then you're a craven as well as a traitor. Boros, who's probably no, no stranger to friction, mm-hmm. immediately sees where this is going and says, not here. Amon says, give me your eye or I will take it, bastard. Boros goes, not in my hall. The boy came as an envoy. I will not have bloodshed beneath my roof, but I will have it above. So go ahead above. If you could, if you could just well, go above, that'd be uh, fine. It's interesting. They cut out this conversation from the book. But Luke, Luke leaves under protection, whatever else. And then two things happen. One, one is, it, is it the daughter he's betrothed to? Is it one of the other daughters? I can't remember. Basically turns to Damon and says, did he take your eye or did he take one of your balls? Why aren't you murdering him right now? Bad start. And then... Lord, he asked Lord Baratheon for leave. Lord Baratheon essentially just tells him, you know, you can't murder in my hall. But the moment you leave, outside my control. Both of those paint the Baratheons in so much worse light. Now, that could have fully happened off camera here. But they pointedly don't show us any of that, which gives us a much better look on the... A much more gentle look on the Baratheons than we otherwise get in the book. Do you want to hear uh, about what the Rise of the Dragon says about this scene? This is fresh off the press. This is like... Today, this was released. I have, no one has heard this before. Literally, this is our reveal, first on this channel. Here's what it says. Though both Damon and Jaceres had success in their endeavors, Prince Lucerius was to meet with quite a different fate. For when he arrived at Storm's Inn on Arax, he found Prince Damon already in residence. The very prince whose eye he had removed six years earlier. Aemon had been well treated by Lord Boros, who had arranged feast and joust in his honor, and accepted the proposal that Aemon wed one of his daughters. Lucerys found a much colder welcome. Aemon openly mocked him, and Lord Boros asked which of his daughters he would marry. But alas for Luke, he had to confess that he was already promised to Reyna, one of Daemon and Lena's twin daughters. Boros dismissed Lucerys, though he intervened when Aemon attempted to take Luke's eye in revenge, saying he would have no bloodshed beneath his roof. It was a stricture that Aemon took perhaps too literally. When Lucerys flew away on Arax into a growing storm, Aemon followed on Vagar, goaded, it was said, by Boros's second daughter, Maris. Vagar caught Arax above Shipbreaker's Bay and killed the young dragon, sending Lucerys tumbling to his death in tumultuous sea below. So there you nope. go. That's nope. directly from a book that was released today. And notably, it says that Vagar did it. Not Aemon. Vagar, in terms of doing the killing, which is a... Is, Accurate as well for we had a prior accounts in terms of describing what exactly occurred. Not that everyone, not, not, not that anyone was there for it. That's closer to what we see on the show than I think any other of the explanations, um, sure. because it does say Vagar caught Arax. The one thing it says is that v- Lucerys tumbled to his death. We know from the show that he just got eaten, so. chomped. Um. So 
Boros tells his guards to take Lucerius back to his... Oh, you got some? Go ahead. Question. If you're Luke, you've been dismissed. Do you ask to stay the night under guest right before you leave? So here is the, here's the difference, folks. Great question, Spencer. Here's the difference in my mind between the Starks and the Baratheons. So this shit starts going down between Aemon and Lucerius. Boros can see what's happening. And he yeah. goes, Get out. not in my roof, not in my roof. Guarantee the Starks would have said, not under my roof, but it seems that the weather is a little bad, Lucerius, for you to leave today. Yeah. I'd like you to stay if you could just go way the fuck away over there. And by the way, I'm going to send 50 guards with you. Mm-hmm. Eamon, I'd like you to stay here until your exit. Like, I, yeah. I honestly believe that, like, someone who is a little bit more thoughtful than Boris is, and I, I, I like to think the Starks are that, would have read that situation and said, I'm not sending him out there on that dragon when I know Eamon can get on that big dragon. Like, it's, it's not hard for Boris to piece together what might happen. I also, you know, as much as he's treating Eamon well, do you remember how Eamon picked what daughter he wants in the books? Yeah. In, in front of their dad, he makes out with all of their daughters. And of course, being George R. R. Martin, he does it along the lines of, he tasted their nectar beforehand so he could see which was the most you know, juiciest fruit or some bullshit along those lines. If I'm Boros, I'm like, okay, uh, Jace, you stay in that. Eamon, you know, great, Get we made a deal. out of here. How about you go home and let your parents know what happened so I don't incline to murder you? You know, just, you know, just keep that detail out there. Yeah, absolutely agree. So... Then we get uh, my guy, Luke. He gets out there. Rx is freaking out. Now, mm-hmm. a lot of people are going to make fun of me about this. But this is one of the hardest things for me to watch because... Little Rx freaking? Yeah, the, the the dragon freaking out and being scared. Yeah. I I love animals. I've always had pets. I have two cats and a dog. They're my kids. As silly as that might sound to some people, I love my pets. And like seeing... They, 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 put, they personify that dragon so much in what we see in cats and dogs. Mm-hmm. And our domesticated animals, like the way it's freaking out, man, that just, I, I had this, like when I was rewatching, I skipped ahead. Like I, I man, it sounds silly to people, but like, I was like, I can't watch that dragon being scared. Um, Luke tries to calm it down. He finally gets on it. He takes off. Rx is having trouble in this storm. Now this is something that's talked about in some of the literature. It wasn't in what I just read, but some of the literature that describes the scene says that Rx has a lot of trouble flying. In from this. the buffeting winds and everything else. Yeah. Vigar's more it's powerful also, and can force through effectively. It's also implied that if they had blue skies, RX might have been faster than Vagar, because Vagar is really slow. It's mm-hmm. big and old and really slow. But, but because but it's powerful. a storm because it's a storm, RX slows down and we have this awesome shot from under RX of Vagar's shadow going. Oh my God. It's so much bigger and so creepy. You described it as horror in the recap, which I thought was a really great explanation. It's horrific seeing this. Oh, I mean, the, the size comparison here is a 747 versus a Piper Cub in terms of the, the distinction between them. And it's terrifying. It is... Poor little Arax and poor little Luke are completely overpowered by this. They have no chance in hell other than to try to hide and get away. Driven by the fact they don't know what Eamon wants to do here. And they can only assume the worst. Yeah. So he's flying over him. Uh, Eamon is flying over Luke. He's taunting him. He's saying, you owe a debt, boy. They're talking him nothing but Valerian. He's saying, you owe a debt. You hear Luke scream. Um, no, before this, Luke does take Rx into a, between canyon. two rocks. Like Baker's a canyon. canyon area. Now, here's the thing. 
park your dragon. Yeah, wait. Vagar can't get down there. Stay right there. But again, 13-year-old kid, Luke doesn't do that. And he leaves. And it's actually funny. When he goes out of the canyon, the shot hangs on it for a second or two. And I feel like that's them telling us that's the point when Luke dies. Yeah. Because then Rx gets out. Rx still extremely scared of Vagar. Fires some some uh, fire right at Vagar's face. Luke is screaming no the entire time. Eamon can hear Luke say no. He knows that Luke didn't want this to happen. But as soon as it happens, I love how they, they do the scene. Eamon loses complete control of Vagar. Because as soon as it happens, he starts screaming no, 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 Vagar. And all you hear him say is no, 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 Vagar until Vagar eats Luke and and Arax. He says it. And he says, no, 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 here Completely one other time. And then Luke goes up above the clouds. He gets one last shot there in this beautiful peace and serenity. And then horrifically out of the corner, you see Vagar <clears throat> chomp. It takes Luke. It takes the center of the dragon. So all that's left is his tail and wings that fall to the ground. And Eamon is yelling, no, 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 the entire time. Eamon's horrified. He, this is not what he wants. I mean, he, Let's be clear on one thing, because people are debating this online. Like, oh my god, Eamon was innocent of this. Bullshit. What? Bull- not, not innocent. Eamon's guilty of this more than anything else. If you point a gun at a sibling that goes off, you're guilty. If you have an attack dog on a leash that you used to taunt somebody else, and then you accidentally let go of the leash, you're guilty. The man murdered his cousin. He set cor- the cor- forth the series of events that led to his death. Did he mean for it to happen? No. No. But that's more in keeping of the fact that, in some ways, that's more on their parents of where these kids are riding around on jet fighters. What did you think was going to happen? They don't have full control. Nobody does, but particularly not these sprouts. Things go wrong. People die. If you give them these kind of tools with all the hatreds of your of your legacy between each other, they're going to act on them, whether they mean to or not. So you you blame not only Eamon. You blame the whole fucking system that has these kids on these fucking death machines and nuclear bombs to begin with, which I think is totally fair. I, I, blame, uh, I'll capital- tell you, I blame capitalism. You know, I just, I just really want to go back to that point here. Really. Well, I think that like, I mean, I, I honestly wasn't trying to make fun of you, but with that, because like, I think Viserys even calls into question the entire system early on when he says, Episode we never should have fucked yeah. with dragons. We never should have fucked with dragons. And he says that the idea we control the dragons is a fiction. So uh, then in the book, it does say uh, this new, this new book, uh, Rise of the Dragon, it says when Eamon returned to King's Landing, he did not receive the praise he expected from his mother and grandfather. So there you go. Implication that he meant to do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, both knew that his killing of Prince Lucerius would lead to reprisals. However, King Aegon held his brother as a hero and threw a great feast at his honor. So, not shocking. Bros. Aegon's <laughs> like, woo, good job. What, what, quest, prediction for next episode. Do you think Aegon, do you think Aemon's going to lie and said he meant to do it? No. No, I think he's going to, I think he's going to go straight to his mother first. Because he's a mama's boy. And he's mm-hmm. going to tell his mother. And his mother's going to panic, tell Otto. And then the three of them are going to decide that the story is that Luke attacked him and he had no choice but to respond. This is a Greedo shot first kind of moment. Yeah, that's what they're going to do. But I, I think he'll tell the truth to his mother because I think he will want his mother to know he really didn't mean to do it because he didn't. I mm-hmm. mean, he, you know, he, he he wants his mother's approval, obviously. He, I mean, hell, he's going to bring her an eye. I mean, he, he who, who doesn't love your mother if you're going to bring him an eye? He seemed legitimately horrified in the moment. Question, by the way, just this is a fun little pondering on Reddit. If, you know, he's in the, the storm's end and, you know, Eamon tells Luke, I, I want your eye. I only ask for one. What does he do if Luke goes, sure, and cuts out an eye and hands it to him? Does he just shut up and go? Yeah. 
Does he think like, oh my god, you're so cool? Let's be best bros now. Yes. We, we're not yep. no more war anymore. Yes to all the above. I honestly believe that if Luke had taken it and said, you know what? That's fair. And stabbed his eye. I don't even know how you do that. But if he did it, <laughs> I think Luke, I think, I think Eamon would have been blown back and he, and everybody in that court would have been awed and Eamon would have said, okay, good. And you know what, what, you know what it would have gotten? It would have gotten Luke a night at Storm's End so he doesn't have to leave with Vagar. <laughs> Man, it, we're adding to the list of things that Luke just could have done better on. Should have stabbed his own eye out. So I'll tell you, I've been better than getting eaten alive. I'll tell you this. There is a moment, though, where he's saying, no, no, no. Vagar takes the chomp. And he's he's saying, no, 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 as he's looking down at Arax's wings and tail. And then there's a moment where he turns and looks at Vagar and he looks startled slash scared. He just learned And I think it's that now. it's it, it's his understanding that I don't have complete control over the most dangerous thing on in the, in the planet. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that scared him, and I, I question if that's going to change his approach to Vagar going forward. Will he, will he be less likely to attack? Will he Will he disclose this to people? Like if Otto says, hey, go out to, I don't know, uh, Winterfell and burn up Winterfell, will he say, well, I'll try, but, you know, didn't go so well last we're, time I was out on him. Like, so, I don't know if he'll disclose this. Like, it's an interesting thing to ponder. Eamon, we're doing an ice cream social for the orphans outside of King's Landing. Could you go give them dragon rides? I'm like... That idea. Uh, I mean, sure. Let's see how that goes. Might want to get Helena for that one. That sounds like a Helena job. Vicini yeah, uh, was down for that. I'm oh, sorry. Vagar was down for that a hundred years ago. Now we have doubts. Uh, I, I honestly think Vagar bonded so closely with Vicenia. It took on Vicenia's personality. And it's just that, it's just that fucking won't give an inch personality that Vicenia, Vicenia has. And Vagar will always uh, be that. I also think to a certain degree, too, we've seen, saw even this episode, the dragons are psychically bonded with their dragon riders. I think to a certain degree, both dragons were responding to the fear, the rage, the aggression of their dragon yeah. riders and acting on those. The su they were acting on the subconscious rather than the direct orders at a certain point here. That's even sadder about RX, right? Is that he was scared for Luke. Mm -hmm. He's like trying to he was, them both. Yeah, it's, it's a... I can't think about RX and all of this. I get fucked up when I start thinking about RX. I know that's crazy because a kid died, but whatever. That's just how my brain works. So then in a scene with no sound, we see Damon walking up to the painted table. His body language is very down, depressed, upset, slumped shoulders. Renera seems to expect bad news. He takes Renera's hand. They turn toward the fire. Renera grimaces, looks down, turns around, looks up, looks at the camera. Fierce, I would say tears in her eyes and fury all over her face and the season ends. It's a great final shot. I think it's a wonder. I didn't see any cuts there anyway, just in terms of them tracking through this scene. No dialogue, just music, just ambiance, but it's acted perfectly when it comes to it. And Rhaenyra gets a proper, you know, uh, Danny just fell, found out that Masende just got her head chopped off off the walls of King's Landing, kind of look at the camera like, okay, now it's this. this is how it's going to be. I was trying to make terms. I was trying to play fair, and this is how you play? Okay. Now it's war. I think she's going to let Damon loose now. I think that's that's the move, the next move D for her. Darren Hall. Um, I do have a little nugget for you about that last scene. You ready for a nugget? I'm always ready for one. So uh, Matt Smith had the idea for that scene. So they actually had some dialogue written, and he said, you know what would be a good idea is to like cut the sound, have the camera be pulled away, and to just watch us in the background. 
deal with that news and watch Rhaenyra deal with the news without sound. Matt Smith's idea. Shout out to Matt Smith. I thought it was very effective. Kudos to him. All right. That ends the recap of episode 10, Spencer. We've done it. We've recapped every single episode in season one of House of the Dragon. Shout out to us. Shout out to us. Podcast professionals. Okay. Do you have any nominees for best line of the episode, episode 10, The Black Queen? Uh, while my computer loads, so I'll put it on me that I've got production issues right now. Uh, would you tell me, how would you rank this episode in terms of the overall canon of season one? I'm curious as to yeah. your thoughts. Does okay, it, so we, where does it rank? Yeah, if you want to do, let's do this now. You can pull up the, you can pull up the, yeah, the, the lines, right? But let's go ahead and have the converse, full conversation now of where this ranks as an episode among the other episodes. I couldn't probably rattle you off best to worst, right? But I can no. give you my top three and my bottom three. So my top three, uh, are eight is the best. One is second. Mm-hmm. Two is after that. And I've got 10 somewhere around three or four. Okay. I, I, so I don't know definitely, sure. in the, definitely in the top half though. Definitely among the best. And my least favorite, uh, my least favorite, um, is in order of least to, to worst. So like the last three, uh, is nine, number one, mm-hmm. four, four, number two, and six, three. Yeah, I'm pretty close for you. No, I seven, think. seven, three, seven, three. Sorry, seven. Uh, I'm pretty close to you. I think for me, my best is eight. Because, good God, Patty Constantine knocks it out of the fucking park. Uh, it's a well-paced, well-written, dramatic, make-me-cry kind of episode. Uh, episode seven before then was also a very pointed favorite of mine. When getting to see Vagar in first flight, getting to see the funeral of um, Bela. I thought all that was well done. Or of Lena. Uh, I think I've been saying Bela wrong the entire episode. Lena. Um... And this might be up, be number three for me. Number three or number four. Where I really did like this episode. I thought it was really well done. I thought it completed another character's arc for the first season very well. Um, and I thought it had a great build going through what is a proper bit of horror here at the end of it. So kudos to them. Worst, I, I'm very much in the same notes as you. Episode nine was a disappointment. And that's an unfor- that was an unfortunate break in flow that had me worried going into this episode about how they would Agreed. wrap things up. I agree. Uh, second one for me is a different one from you, uh, but for me, the wedding ep- the, the first wedding episode, there were there were some moments where they went off script or at least off book that I thought were decidedly worse and weren't well explained than what we got compared to the text. And I thought that was a mistake when it came to it. Otherwise, in terms of negatives, uh, there were a couple episodes around the start that I was still getting used to the time jumps, but there really weren't. I felt like overall episodes that were obvious letdowns other than those moments that we've kind of mentioned. I thought it was a pretty well done season in terms of maintaining at least a steady level of quality with some major spikes up even higher than that. I really enjoyed episode one. Uh, I loved getting Jaharis. I love the great council. I loved how they wrapped it. Like they, they finished that episode with the, everybody kneeling to Renera as the heir. It was a really perfect sort of thing. Um, all right, I think it is time for best line of the episode. All right, got a few. Uh, first one, early one, between mother and son. We don't choose our destiny, Luke. It chooses us. Luke responding, grandsire let you choose whether you'd be his heir. You told us so. And her responding, you want to know the truth of it? I was frightened. I was four and ten, same as you are now. I wasn't ready to be queen of the seven kingdoms. But it was my duty. And in time, I came to understand I had to earn my inheritance. Him responding, I'm not like you. In what way, sweet boy? I'm not so perfect i'm anything but my father looked after me and helped me prepare for my duties and your mother will do the same for you it's sweet it's loving it's caring and its only purpose here is to make us cry more later and it succeeds so credit for that damn you show shout out 
Um, so you're just uh, a line later between um, Rhaenyra and her son, Jaceris. Whatever claim remains to me, you are now its heir. Naught is to be done but by my command. This is a woman that's right now in the middle of a very painful birth that's eventually going to result in a stillbirth, and she's still trying to be a queen of a seven, the queen of the seven kingdoms. Kudos to her right there. Um, line from Eric later. Uh, Eric, not Eric. Uh, I mean no harm, brothers. Uh, I swear toward the queen with all my strength and give my blood for hers. I shall take no wife, hold no lands, father no children. I shall guard her secrets, obey her commands, ride at her side, and defend her name and honor. My queen, and it's just a powerful scene of Rhaenyra being being crowned in so much a wonderful contrast to the coronation in the last episode. It feels so much more intimate, so much more real as a result of just how it almost happens on just happenstance. So powerful scene. Even just her title, we get here later: Queen Rhaenyra Targaryen, the first of her name, Queen of the Andals, the Rhaenyra, and the First Men, Lady of the Seven Kingdoms, and Protector of the Realm. I feel like that's almost the tagline of the entire season. We've been building towards. She got that title episode one. Now here in the last episode, but she got the title of heir. Now here in the last episode, she's actually earned in some manner her her title as queen. And before the end, she'll see the costs of it. Uh, line that just tickles my heart is a House Stark stand. There has never lived a Stark or forgotten oath, and with House Stark, the North will follow because the North remembers whether the original show believes that or not. Unbelievable. Love it. Great uh, line. I would rather, from Damon, you already said this one, but it bears repeating, I would rather feed my sons to the dragons than have, than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper cunt of a king. Man, that way can ju- that, that man's got a pretty tongue that can just speak things to me. Ain't um, that something. Love that line. Uh, follow up even to it as well. She can have her answer now. Stuffed in her father's mouth along with his withered cock. Let's end Woo. this mummer's farce. Sir Eric, bring me Lord Hightower so I may take the pleasure myself. The fact that he ends sentence one with cock and then the ex- exit s- sentence two with pleasure just makes it all the more terrifying. Yeah, like what is he talking about? Yeah, it's, I'll take uh, I'll take the pleasure, yeah. Nothing good. Nothing good comes from that. Um, blind to motto, though, it's a good one in the conversation. Stale oaths will not put you on the Iron Throne, princess. The succession changed the day your father sired a son. I only regret that you and he were the last to see the truth of it. A uh, line from Damon. Viserys spoke often of Valerian histories. I know them. Uh, I know them well. When dragon, actually, this is from uh, Rhaenyra. Viserys spoke often of Valerian histories. I know them well. When dragons flew to war, everything burned. Truth. Uh do couple more. As queen, what is my true duty to the realm, Lord Bartimus? Ensuring peace and unity? Or am I to sit on the Iron Throne no matter the cost? That's your father talking. My father's dead, and he chose me as his successor, implicitly, not you. To defend the realm, not cast it headlong into war. Uh, to do from Damon, my brother was a slave to his omens and portents. Anything to make his feckless reign appear to have purpose. Dreams didn't make us kings dragons did and afterwards from Rhaenyra he never told you did he uh last two heedless ambition has always been a Valerian weakness you were right Rhaenys I reached too far and for nothing our pursuit of the Iron Throne is at an end we shall declare for no one we will retire to high tide to be content with our grandchildren and and then Rhaenys interrupts and things go in a different direction and final one I think it's just a good I, I love the little just soundbite ones too but one of the best soundbite ones was from Rhaenyra but taking caution does not mean standing fast. Good philosophy to keep in making decisions. 
Wonderful. So a lot of real good options this episode, right? A lot, lot better than last episode. I feel like there were a lot of really pronounced lines, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, I'm going to award an honorable mention, also known as Lee's real favorite of the episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is Damon, I would rather feed my sons to the dragon <laughs> than have them carry shields and cups for your drunken usurper kind of a king. Agreed. That is my favorite line. Yeah, what's the most the important best. line? <laughs> That cannot be the best line, though, because there is a much more important line that is said later. And by all, I mean, absolutely underdog here, said by Lord Boros Baratheon, king or queen, which is it? The house of the dragon does not seem to know who rules Great it. line. Should have mentioned that one. That's a great it's the, line. It's the perfect line for to represent the episode and represent where the end of season one is, right? Mm-hmm. The house of the dragon, name of this show, does not seem to know who rules it. Shout out, Lord Boros. Well said, sir. Well picked. Continue your tradition. All right, so there we go. Absolutely, I picked one that you did not. You did yeah. not pick. Um, so I'm not going to do the is is Game of Thrones back as House of the Dragon here. Uh, I mean, that's very Apparent. obviously known. Um, I do want to talk about though before we jump into our spoiler sections, book to show stuff. It's just a recap on the season. We're not going to do another episode where we recap everything. So I want to do our, our recap of the season thoughts here. We're not just talking about the episode. We're talking about what we felt about the entire season. Uh, season one of House of the Dragon. And I'll start, I'll say that I have been pleasantly surprised. I did not expect it to be this good, this popular, this watched, um, or this engaged. I didn't, I didn't expect people to be so like worked up about it the way that they are. But let's remove the, the audience reaction and just talk about what I felt about the show. Please. Um, I felt like because Martin really forced them to do a bit of a prologue to it, to do the younger versions of Renera and Alicent, they did some time jumps that confused people, that frustrated people. I don't think Ryan Condell, from what I've heard from him, I don't know, but what I've heard from him, would have necessarily done that without George pushing it. I'm glad they did it, but it's hard storytelling. And I think that they did a pretty darn good job considering they were having to tell a story that spanned over about a 25-year period and, and season one. I thought that was I thought that was really well done. I was impressed by that. I've also been particularly impressed by the actors and actresses in this show. I think that they have a really strong cast. I hope they can hold the cast together. I am a little co- perturbed by how fast they went, and I wondered if that was a function of the fact they were only com- they were only contracted for one season. They didn't know if they were. I mean, they thought they yeah. might get another season, but they didn't know for sure. And they also needed to catch the audience, so they wanted a lot of things to happen in these episodes. I expect the pace to slow down a little bit in season two. I expect for us to to live in the world a little bit more, learn the characters a little bit more. Some big event doesn't have to happen every episode, although you know it will. A lot of big a lot uh, to go events down. will happen, but it doesn't have to be the same pace as season one. If I have any complaints about season one, it's with the pacing. It's not with the acting or the writing. It's just the pacing. That's the only complaint I would have. I can say it's better than I thought it would be. I have it. Not quite as good as the best season of Game of Thrones, but it is in the top like two or three seasons of this universe I've ever seen on television. And that's saying a lot considering Game of Thrones is my favorite television show of all time. Spencer, what did you think about the season? It was a legitimate surprise in a lot of ways. A, I was had no expectations when it came to quality. I was just hoping for tolerable. I, 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 that, that was kind of what I was aiming for here coming out of season eight of Game of Thrones. I just wanted something that wasn't just going to actively disappoint me. Instead, I was legitimately impressed. This is a well-crafted, well-thought-out show. I think it's big, some of its biggest successes and biggest flaws, though, are a result of its ambition and the very structure that you mentioned. The fact that this is ten episodes of basically prologue. 
This is 10 episodes of setting up what's going to be the main subject matter of the show. Introducing you to the players, introducing you to the characters, and being content with the fact that effectively hitting high points of the prior 25 years will keep the audience engaged enough to make it work. Did it? I was engaged. I thought they were able to take something that I've almost never seen successfully done on the screen for this many characters, this many different actors playing the same characters, in this short of a period of time. Not over multiple seasons, but within the same season of a show. That's ambitious. That's hard to pull off. That inherently is going to lead to problems, difficulties, budget issues, among countless other uh, problems. And they were able to chart a course through most of them. I think the problems that we saw were a direct result of that ambition. I mean, the pacing at times struggles. There are episodes that just race by, and there are episodes that have almost a meandering kind of gate between them. There are so many times of when they're just expecting us to play catch-up with these giant time jumps with so little explanation of how differently the characters are now situated and what's occurred with respect to them in the times in between. Times that was outright frustrating when that was occurring. But they counted on us to be able to make through it. They counted on us to be able to fill the gaps based on the information they provided. And generally speaking, they were right. What carried it even through those difficulties... Excellent acting, excellent writing, particularly in the dialogue between characters, and some legitimately impressive scenes. I think they went wrong a little bit because at a certain point they kind of assumed that they needed to give the audience enough bread and circuses and they weren't giving them enough, so they added in some extra scenes that I didn't think were always necessary and in some ways broke what they were going for. But I think in some ways that's just a product of the fact that they were looking at this going, dear God, are people really going to be in there for this? We're basically reading a history textbook and focusing on the chapter highlights right now for an entire season of television. Is anyone actually going to enjoy this? To maybe their surprise, certainly HBO's surprise and surprise the broader world, we are. We're in. This was great. This was really well done. This hits so much of what I actually want out of Game of Thrones. Where does it rank for me? Pretty damn high. I mean, we're talking like this falls somewhere in like the four, the first four seasons of Game of Thrones. We're not even talking like highlights of season five or great moments in season six kind of territory. We're talking like the quality writing. I'm happy enough just having you have two characters talk in a room quality of writing. That has been a long time gone from the screen. I'm impressed. I'm surprised. The errors almost amuse me. The problems almost amuse me because they're a result of them aiming so high when it came to this show. And even when they kind of, you know, had their wings melted by the sun, I saw the ambition attached there. That gives you a lot of confidence going to the next season. That not only are they going to make a well-written, good show with quality acting, but they're not going to be afraid to take risks in terms of how they present it. And that's rare to find. Yeah, I think we, we're in agreement on here. I mean, we had some disagreements about certain plot elements, certain episodes. <laughs> Your love of whole, weddings. I love the wedding scene, but uh, all together, I think that we agree that this show is a very worthy successor of Game of Thrones. It was a very successful first season, and we sit wrapped, attention, excited, awaiting season two. Okay, I think that is our time to say goodbye to our sweet summer children, our Unsullied. Thank you so much for joining us for this absolutely fun season of House of the Dragon. Thank you for being a part of the Mango Talks uh, listenership for engaging with us, for all of your likes, for your subscribes, for every bit of engagement you've given us. The fact that you guys listen to this, that you enjoy it, that you look forward to it on Monday and Wednesday mornings means a lot to us. We really like putting this stuff out. We really enjoy um, just having this conversation with all of our listeners. So um, if you did enjoy this podcast and you want to listen to us talk a little bit more about television, uh, 
please join us on a podcast called Enjoy Your Stay, an unofficial review of White Lotus. That's Enjoy Your Stay, colon, an unofficial review of White Lotus. That is a show where Spencer and I are going to go through season two of White Lotus. And season two of one of the White Lotus, season one of White Lotus was an absolute blast. It was a crazy fucking show. And going through it week by, the idea of going through that show week by week with Spencer is so funny to me. Like, how uncomfortable he's going to be with some of the, oh, the plot elements. Cause this show does, it doesn't hold back. It's, it's absolutely weird. So we're going to have a grand old time covering that. That show is actually plugging in to House of the Dragon spot. So it's just going to be on next Sunday at nine. So we're going to be back with you next Wednesday on the, that podcast feed, which is, uh, enjoy your stay on official White Lotus review podcast. Check that out and we will see you then. Thanks everybody for listening. And we will be back with you about a year and a half or so for season two. All right, Spencer. Uh, we talked show changes. We talked Spoiler about talk. a, we talked about a few, and there's a few I just want, I want your final opinion on about whether they are changes or whether these fall in the same category of these feel like they can fit in the history. Category number one: uh, Aemon, Aemon Vagar, Luke, Luke, and Arax. Do you think it's a change, or do you feel like this is the show kind of explaining how events actually went down that the historians couldn't know? I believe it's exactly how the events went down. I don't think it's show canon book. I think it's it's the truth. Like it doesn't. It never made any sense that Aemon would want to kill Lucerys there. He doesn't, he hasn't been given leave to do it. He hasn't been told to start the war. Like the only reason that fans fell in love with that idea is because of how grossly irresponsible it was. Mm-hmm. They love the idea that it was just this like absolutely insane thing that Aemon did to start a war, to kill his nephew all over, like, you know, something that happened six years ago. And they just thought that made this like, made it like a really crazy serial killer type character when what we've been shown of Eamon and actually a lot of what we get in the books is that Eamon is not until later. He's not that out of control, right? Like there's a, there's a great parallel here with Damon and Eamon where Eamon isn't out at the brothels every night. He doesn't seem to inherently like to be violent with other people around him. He's disgusted by Aegon's behavior. He likes to take care of his family. He's close to his mother He's, he, he styles himself, he styles himself after Damon, sure, but he does not act like Damon. And it doesn't surprise me that he wouldn't want to, uh, start a war this way, that he wouldn't want to, to kill his nephew without being told to by somebody in the, in the green camp. So no, this made perfect sense to me. And I think it's what happened in the books. And I just think it's the greens covering their tracks after the fact. I think it's interesting you bring up the fact of this is where Eamon is so much Damon writ young, where there's a lot of different aspects to his character you can read. And you could very much focus on the fact that he is a complicated soul uh, who does everything that you just said. I also think that people are judging it based on the evil shit he does later, too. Of where He becomes very different later. And, but I think this is a result of the fact that the entire story we have is pretty much condensed, in, even comp- compiling in the novellas, whatever else. The entire story we have the Dance of the Dragons is just a couple hundred pages, if even that. Um, and as a result of that, you get all the events pretty damn quick. And so it's not that much of a jump from Aemon has Luke killed, has his dragon chomped, whatever else to, oh, oh yeah. Also Aemon rode around on Vagar and basically set the entire Riverlands on fire, killing thousands. And so when you've already, when you basically have read that second data point, not long after the first, you're looking at that going, well, if this is the guy, if this guy at data point number two was willing to do that, of course he'd be willing to do the first thing. That seems really mild by comparison. But it's not necessarily a fair read because characters evolve, characters change. Characters he also different moments in their lives. When they, he's doing that in the Riverlands, he thinks 
Aegon is out of the picture. And he is ruling. He's ruling. Yeah, he's ruling at that point. So he he doesn't answer to anyone. That's very different than where he's at now. Yeah, it, it's a different, very different stage. At that point, also in the books, he's hooked up with quite possibly a witch and is hanging out in the ruins of Harrenhal, making an heir to the realm that actually kind of disappears from the story here afterwards. When you know the witch knocks people's heads in later when they come to try to mess with her. Uh, so. There's a lot going on differently in his life at that stage when he's, you know, burning the entire world down. Uh, so I don't think it's necessarily a fair read to say the Ammon that was at that point is necessarily the Ammon that is at this point. I'm also with you. This feels like a one that it could neatly fit within the events that we had. Because pointedly, nobody in the historians actually literally says, and oh yeah, this guy, this fisherman literally saw Ammon say, I'm going to kill you, Vagar, kill him. They just saw the aftermath of it and then had Ammon admit to it later. So, perfectly possible this fits in. Uh, bigger one, though, which I think is harder to say isn't just a straight-up change. Rhaenyra's temperament and response to the Greens usurping her throne. Is it fair to say that Rhaenyra's response to that is, I'm going to murder them all from basically Jump Street? Or at least yeah, the, the, name of the, the name of the witch for Aemon is Alice Rivers. That was bugging me. Alice th- Rivers. Thank you. Yeah. Sure. Um, Yes. So one of the reasons so I people get a little confused at my ex- excitement for Rhaenyra, right? Book readers anyway, yes. Because she's not great. She kind of sucks. No. Like she's she pretty awful a time. lot of the time and she gets she becomes a, a person you can't deal with by the end. She's just absolutely you can't deal with her. Um yeah, you're you're absolutely the biggest book to show change that I saw the whole season was how they treated Rhaenyra and Allison. Yeah. That's the biggest change. I, I don't think this thing with Aemon is even worthy of being on the list. I think what what they're doing with the Rhaenyra character is they're making her more of a hero, more contemplative. Uh, she is impulsive, angry, and vi- violent herself from jump. I mean, she when she hears about Aegon being crowned, she goes into labor. She's screaming and hollering and bellowing and aching. As soon as she gets out of there, she's ready to fight. Like, yeah. it's right away. Wait. And when she hears about Luke... It actually does the opposite. It, it puts her into a state of mourning where she doesn't participate in her war council. Mm-hmm. So the exact opposite is happening on the show where she's not ready for war. She hears about Luke and then she turns around. She's ready to fight. It's also, so they're doing a lot of different things with the character than what I read in the book and perceived of that character that George wrote. Very true. It's also a point of change, too, just in terms of their war plans. Because immediately she approves Damon's plan to, t- to take Harrenhal. He uses a base that they can use to launch their operations yeah. and also expand their influence in the Riverlands. Damon takes takes Harrenhal before Luke even arrives at Storm's End. That's how yeah, fast the plan's actually, going to place. Yeah, when he finds out about Luke, he's at Harrenhal. He's not even with Rhaenyra. Yeah, he sends her a message saying, Honey, don't worry. I got this. You rest. And yeah, then he does the most yeah. evil thing in the series. <laughs> an eye for an eye, a son for a son. Lucerius shall be avenged. Yeah, let, God. If you have to predict, when we get in Blood and Cheese? Episode, episode two? Episode one, straight away? I would start it with episode one. If they do it, I would, I would end episode one. Bang. I, oh, I would, it has to be the end. Whatever. You can't have that in the middle of the, of the episode. It's got to be oh, the end of any yeah. episode. It's God, if you start episode one with that, like the literally first scene of that, people, I, man, it'd be too much. People would be out of the I think. Just... I think what they're going to do is they're going to take that iconic Damon line and it's going to be something he sends to the Greens. He's going to send that to Otto. He'll say, or something, or maybe Allison. He'll send he'll send a message that says, "I for an I son for a son, Lucerius shall be avenged." The Greens will be freaking out, and then at the end of episode one, you'll see the whole thing with Helena, the choice, and uh, one uh, of her children dying, and etc. 
I'm hoping for episode two or episode three. Episode one, I just want of just straight Cregan Stark and, and uh, Jace having the best damn old time in Winterfell. Just entire episode, just the two of them hanging out, going. You don't hunting. want you don't want whatever happens in the Eerie first, Spencer. You titillator. You like I, the sex I, scenes. I, I want to hear Jace describe it to Cregan Stark of what just happened in the Eerie before after he left. Yeah, I, I think we're going to get blood and cheese pretty early. We have to because it's pretty, pretty quickly right after Lucere's death that it happens. And that sets the stage for everything else, because that's when Aegon's fury, Aegon becomes a different king after that, because I'm not sure he how much he loved his kids, but he takes that, he that takes death so personally. Point. And also, like another thing that blood and cheese does that people don't really talk about is it takes away a dragon rider. It Helena does. becomes incapacitated after that. Dream so they, their dragon rider no count, role in the war. they go down to three. Yeah. So. It's actually a, a super important strategic thing that Damon does there. Um, yeah, we're going to get that right away, I think. Uh, part of the reason I also kept on referencing the idea that, yeah, well, you know, it's not the worst thing to have kids flying dragons over towns to provide a certain measure of support. It's because that's the term they use to get the veil in on their camp, is that she wants dragons to help protect her territory to prevent, uh, to, to prevent other dragons from going in. And they basically just stick Joffrey and his dragon there as being like, yeah. okay, sure, here's what you get. And to the, to the people of the Vale, that's enough. It's a dragon, and the odds of any dragon attacking the Vale are zilch anyway. And it at least is going to provide a certain measure of forewarning and, you know, a threat to armies that attempt to attack. So and it'll like, only grow. It will only grow, and it also, more importantly for the Blacks, it secures Joffrey being nice and safe there, rather than anywhere near where else the actual combat and fighting is going to be. Uh, but otherwise, in terms of this episode, I, another, another one, Damon choking Rhaenyra in character for book and, and both show Damon. I think we, we already kind we of would, the maester would that. never know that occurred. So yeah. that absolutely, that could have occurred a hundred times and the maester never would have written about it. So it doesn't, uh, that, that there's no book to show change there in my mind at all. That's just me. That's just my thought. No, I, I very much agree on that point. Same thing with respect to what the Baratheons told Damon. We just didn't see it on camera. Perfectly possible that the same thing happened in the books or whatever else. I really think the only significant, the most significant change this episode is Rhaenyra's temperament and even making an effort at peace. And that's very much in keeping with the Rhaenyra that they painted on the show and the Alice that they painted on the show, where, as Rainey said, she's the one that's showing discipline. She's the one that's trying to keep uh, the realm at peace. She's the one that's trying to avoid war. Something they've hammered home with, about her from the, from the get-go. And is it different? Yes. Sure, and Allison are fundamentally different characters than they are in the books. Will they eventually reach the same point later, and will that be a little more tragic from them starting at a different point? Maybe. And that could be very well executed. It stands to be seen. I hope they don't keep playing on it too much, that they are just utterly perfect and everyone around them is terrible. And I think what we got at the end of this episode says they won't, based on Rhaenyra's So reaction. that was going to be my next question to you, is that Rhaenyra, if she's a two on the crazy scale, she becomes a 14. She gets so much worse. Like, are, do you think they're going to allow that descent for this character? Or is she going to, they're going to try to maintain her as someone to root for throughout her time in King's Landing? I don't think they can avoid it. I don't know how they avoid it. So much of what comes hereafter are Rhaenyra's descent into madness, her just wrecking the realm for the sake of her birthright in so many ways. I still blame the Greens mostly, but Rhaenyra plays a role going forward, particularly to the small folk of King's Landing. They're going to have to rewrite so much and change so much around her to otherwise accommodate her just still being pristine. And again, that look on her face at the end, that's a woman that's ready to ride to war to, to avenge her own. I think they've set that up now enough at this stage, and they have enough time with four seasons to make her further descent into madness feel that much more organic, that much more earned, that much driven by events and people around her. Okay, so we're in the spoiler. Are you done with Book to Show Changes? Do you have any more? I think that's all, yeah. 
Okay, so we're in the spoiler section. We're just about to wrap up. Is there, I want to ask you if there's one thing that you know from the story, let's just assume they're going to follow the script for the most part. Okay. Is there one thing from the books that you're really excited about seeing and one thing that you really dread seeing? I'll go first to give you a chance to think. Mm-hmm. So the thing I'm really excited about seeing is Bela on Moon Dancer fucking up Aegon. Like oh. that shit, it makes oh. me so happy to think about. It, it, like when she, co- her, which, avenging her mom too. When she, when she to. fucks, when she tricks that fucker into getting, uh, Sunfire up out of the, off the ground at, with its injured, injured wing and comes in and wrecks his shit and breaks both his legs and, and gets his, uh, armor tattooed onto him and then survives on top of that. Shout mm-hmm. out Bela. I'm so excited to see that. The thing I don't want to see and I might actually not watch is the storming of the dragon pit and mm-hmm. the killing of five dragons. I can't, that's going to be really tough for me with the animal thing. Um, So that's the thing. That's the thing that I really don't want to watch. And it's a part of the story I don't like reading because I, I'm so frustrated with Rhaenyra as it's happening that she doesn't move the dragons. She doesn't unchain them. She does nothing. She just sits there and goes, it's fine. She watches her her own fucking dragon dies and she does nothing. It's like, it's maddening to watch. Yeah. Uh, I think I'm contractually required to pick two different ones. Uh, So I'll, I'm actually going to do three. Um, yeah, sure. Thing I'm most looking forward: Hour of the Wolf, Hour of the Fucking Wolf. Oh, how did I miss that shit? Come on, the, the, Terry. The I'm Stark. Like, what the hell? The Starks walking into King's Landing and righting all the wrongs of the realm. I just <laughs> that was schooling all those that. ill-disciplined children. I'm so eaten up with the dragons. I'm just. I'm not thinking. Uh, thing I'm most thing, thing I'm most dreading: uh, Rhaenyra's death. Uh, Rhaenyra's death in front of her son. Eaten by sunfire, a crippled beast sitting in front of a tortured, barely surviving on opium king. Her son's screaming for the savor, whatever else. Made to watch as his mother is burned and eaten alive. That's going to fucking suck. Four seasons into the show to see this character that we've seen go through this incredible arc as far as she's fallen. See her end on those terms. That's going to suck. One that I'm both... By the way, they can't change it. Because they had Joffrey say in season three of Game of Thrones, they had Joffrey say to Marjorie down there that's where Sunfire ate Princess Rhaenyra it's canon <laughs> show canon can't change it now so uh and then last one one I'm most looking forward to and most dreading if they don't make blood and cheese the most talked about thing in media after it happens from how painful and wrong and evil it is and how it makes everybody question whether they actually can be on team black from how evil it is they are wasting their time I am both looking forward to and dreading that and hoping desperately it is done well to make it the most water cooler discussed matter in America after it goes down. Here's how I know they're going to. Because they have built Helena up as such a sympathetic figure. Oh, God. That, that's, that, this is foresight. They're just doing that. The only reason that we love Helena so much, probably the only reason they even made her a dreamer, is so that we would care when blood and cheese happens. And we already care about Allison. So seeing her trussed up and made to watch as this happens too. It- oh, Allison having to watch it might be the worst part. I mean, like maybe maybe not, but like for the fans, it might be because of how much they care about Allison. And if, if they also do the proper Sophie's Choice too, and have her say, you know, pick which 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 one should die, and then they kill the other, and then basically hold up the surviving kid to the side and just make him understand his first memory, his first thoughts of the world are, your mother picked you to die. Yep. It's going to be great and terrible in equal measure. I think we're all looking at blood and cheese as a seminal part of the Game of Thrones story. I think it's going to it's going to be 
culturally epic. Um, but I, for me, the storming of the dragon pits can be the hardest thing to watch. I, I stand by that one. I, I fucked up with the, what to look for. I mean, Bela kicking Aegon's ass is going to be awesome, but hour of the wolf is the thing to look forward to for sure. That's the right answer. Uh, qu- question on adaptation, Roderick Dustin, gay or nay, or do they just bring Creek and Stark in early? I mean, come on. You, I know why you asked the question. Because the way, the way to write it is to just have the Starks be the the only army that comes in. Is that like, because it does it does it, it takes like it, it makes more. Uh, Roddy the Ruin is a great character, but he seems like he's an easy one just to adapt and to write it out to get and have it earlier. just be the Starks, just be the Starks, and, and have it have it and have have the characters talking about it as if it's just the Starks. Have have the Greens in there going fuck the Starks are outside. What are we going to do? Does like, it effectively make it that the Creek and Stark has two armies? That he has his main army, and then maybe even Roderick Dustin is bringing the, the bulk of his forces in, in in afterwards. Just switch the two roles, but also have Creek and Stark survive somehow the Battle of Tumbledown. Can you remind me? I, I'm sure I have it right here in the Rise of the Dragon. How does Vermithor die on Hammer? Hugh the Hammer. Uh, Vermithor gets into a fight uh, with man. Which dragon does he kill? He gets into a fight with one of Rhaenyra's dragons. I'm going to pull it up while I'm talking to you. Uh, they successfully... Is it Sea Smoke? I think it is Sea Smoke. I think you're right. Uh, successfully Being duels... Being ridden by Adam. Uh, successfully duels Sea Smoke. Uh, kills Sea Smoke during the second battle of Tumbledown. But then is so badly injured in the process of getting into this multi-dragon duel that happens over the battle that its wings are crippled, it's badly injured, it can't fly. Which then leads to Silverwing heartbreakingly this is a scene i'm dreading seeing if they do it right dreading and looking forward to is trying to move him up yeah swooping under vermithor and trying to lift him aloft so as to help him fly but unable to and then just nestling down under him sadly before fucking off and telling everybody to go eat her ass and just just i'm done with all your wars and all your stupidity the one thing i cared about is gone you know but it's all it's funny you always say i know you love that scene like i do because you hope but but it's always written as if like the Maesters are like skeptical that ever happened. Like, ah, eh, that's just something people say. Again, fuck the Maesters. They're the same ones that are poo-pooing cannibal being like, you know, an ancient dragon Dude, that's multi-hundred. Who are you saying diesel. fuck the Maesters? I believe in the Grand Maesters conspiracy. Fuck the Maesters. They're the reason the dragons are gone. So join me, sir. Cannibal's the oldest one ever, and there's going to be a really sad scene of dragons cuddling. Nobody's bigger than Vagar. All right, anything else we want to discuss on the spoiler part of the episode? And, and season wrap-up at that. I think we've covered it, sir. Only now the issue is how long will we have to wait before we see House of the Dragon again? I Yeah. And, you know, maybe two might, years, I, t- hopefully. I, t- I told everybody bye until the next uh, episode. You know, we might need to do a check-in once they start production and we get Trailers, some spoilers yeah. and stuff. It might be smart to do some check-ins. So we'll probably do that. All right. Thanks, everybody. All the spoiled, all the people who know exactly where the story is going to go or hope they do or think they do. Thanks for joining us. This has been an awful lot of fun. Check out all of our stuff at mangumtalks.com or go into your favorite podcast provider, type in Mangum Talks. As said, our next podcast will be Enjoy Your Stay, an unofficial White Lotus podcast. Spencer and I are going to knock that one out of the park. I think, I hope it's going to be a lot of fun. Regardless, please join us. Thanks for listening this season and we will see you, I don't know, maybe when we get uh, some footage, some trailers, some production notes, something. See you later.